Welcome back to The Other Castle. The Other Castle, it's so spooky today. Oh, we're on another spooky mission, are we? Hell yeah, I fucking love spooky games. I'm Andrea. And my name is Tom. And this is The Other Castle podcast where we break down the plot, lore, and more behind video games. We talk about the development, we talk about the creators, we talk about performers, and then we walk you through the entire story of the game so you can speedrun everything at the rate of which we are talking. Yes. <laughs> So, yeah, if this is your first time joining us, thank you so much. If you want to learn more, you can go to our website, theothercastlepodcast.com. That's theothercastlepodcast.com. Over there, you can also see we have a Patreon for $2 a month. You can join. We have monthly episodes dropping over there as well. We also have links to all of our socials, all that kind of fun stuff, as well as just the episodes themselves. Yeah, all the fun things. So today we are covering The Quarry, and I'm glad you brought up our old episodes because... We're going to kind of start the story right at the end of Until Dawn, which is a game we covered in Season 5, Episode 9. So this is kind of a sequel, but also not a sequel at all. Wait, does it actually pick up like right afterwards? No, but my storytelling will. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) So Until Dawn was done by Supermassive Games. It was their first groundbreaking title. It was done in participation with Sony, specifically to talk about the haptics for the PS4 controllers. It's fucking great. I go into the whole history of the studio and all of Until Dawn. If you're if this is your vibe, you're going to like that one as well. Yeah, the PlayStation Move shows up. Yeah, and it never shows up. Right. <laughs> now, The Quarry is considered to a lot of people as the follow-up to Until Dawn, but that seven-year gap between the 2015 title Until Dawn and The Quarry actually had a lot of smaller titles, as well as some like corporate changes so it was kind of a long road to get from until dawn to the quarry they had like little short films exactly yeah so after until dawn came out in 2015 as kind of a flex feature for the playstation 4 controller like we talked about super massive moved forward with until dawn rush of blood that vr shooter that scared the shit out of you oh my god that game was so fucking intense (laughs) you're in like a mine cart trolley because there's mines in the first game and i don't want to spoil that one at all And this will not spoil until dawn, to be very clear. But Rush of Blood is a shooter and it's VR and it's like scary clowns and crazy shit popping out at you while you're on a minecart. It's horrifying. And then there's this one section with the masked character from Until Dawn and he's 40 feet fucking tall. (gasps) And in VR, it's actually 40 feet tall in front of you. It's absolutely terrifying. I didn't watch you play that far. That sounds awful. Oh, it was. Yeah, great game. (laughs) So that one. A kind of a direct sequel that did take place in the Until Dawn universe. From there, the team branched out of these like sexy teen tropes into Hidden Agenda, which is a multiplayer open-ended butterfly effect game where you're a cop and you're trying to solve a crime. They learned that they really loved telling horror stories, though. And they're like, let's get back to that. <laughs> and they call them these high-end interactive drama pieces, which I also love as a descriptor for what kind of game this is. And their style of gameplay in general for Supermassive. Okay, with each of these games, were they doing some innovation? I, uh, there were changes. Okay. <laughs> so let, just in terms of titles, they did move forward with what's called the Dark Pictures Anthology, which is a series of horror games on a much smaller scale 
than Until Dawn, but a lot of the gameplay was very similar. So it's a lot of QTEs and then doing conversational navigation to get characters to line up a certain way. So it was an anthology, so those stories were not connected? Correct. They had some similar themes, a lot of spooky shit, but they're very kind of short-form versions of Until Dawn. They would have stellar casts like, oh shit, Adam Warlock did one. Oh, Will Poulter. Yeah, Eyebrows. He's fantastic. He did one. He had a great time with it. But they love hiring fantastic people for the Supermassive Games, which is great. I mean, they got some serious talent in Until Dawn, and they especially got Rami Malek before he was a name actor. Before he was an Oscar award winner. Yeah. And Hayden Panettiere, which just, we are always blessed when she's on the screen. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. No, so they've kind of kept that tradition going with some working actors as well as some name talent to come in. And this was just kind of a thing that the entire team loved doing and they really committed to of being like, no, no, we're going to produce film quality games that you can interact with and we're going to have some fucking fun. And everyone's like, hell yeah, scare us. So the internal team at Supermassive now has about 300 full-time employees on the roster, just like a bit more, which oh, is wild. damn, that is a full, full team. Oh, yeah. Now, in 2021, about a third of Supermassive was acquired by a film company based in Denmark called Nordisk Film. And then they eventually, a little bit later down the line, became the overall owner of Supermassive in 2022, just right after the release of The Quarry. So now they are fully integrated with a film company, which will only make this better. And I'm so excited for like, it's hard to see a studio get bought or move around. You know, mergers and acquisitions can make things different culturally, certainly. But I feel like this is a move in the right direction. It's so wild to hear that they got bought out by a film company. Why does that feel weird to you? One, it's a Danish film company. That's not something you hear much about. That's fair. <laughs> As Americans, we hear a lot more about Hollywood, California. So if like Universal Studios bought it, that would make a little bit more sense. Right. The way Universal actually had a hand in doing Spyro, <laughs> our last episode that I coasted. But this was a company that was making some pretty killer games doing well. Great pun on killer. And they ended up selling to this kind of... Maybe they're a huge name in Denmark, but damn, that's wild that a movie studio would buy them. Yeah. <laughs> now, Supermassive is European, so I don't know if that helps connect some things for you, but predominantly they shoot and work a lot in L.A. as well. They're very connected to Silicon Beach. Like, it's interesting to your point that it is, went to a Danish company, but I think it's going to be better for the resources overall. You know, they're already in development to what they say is the follow-up to the quarry, so we assume a larger scale game, not one of these anthology episodes, but I don't know. I, I'm excited. I think that's really cool. I really like the studio. Well, you're not going to get that level of talent to show up if they have to go all the way to Denmark. Oh, no, they filmed these in L.A. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they filmed, I believe, all of them in L.A., so no worries on that. Now, through these corporate changes and between projects, some of the key creators from Until Dawn departed, but one key creator stayed, Will Biles, the writer and executive director of Until Dawn. As he progressed through his career, Will Biles was naturally the writer and director of The Quarry because, you know, he did win a BAFTA for Best Original Property for Until Dawn. So Supermassive is like, hey, you, so far so good. Keep it up, buddy. That might be why the movie studio company bought him. They wanted to buy out the fucking writer. That's fair. They're like, Oh, you're getting BAFTAs? Yeah, you can come over here and write some shit. Yeah. We'll film it. It'll go a lot faster than coding a video game. I promise <laughs> you. People do these on their iPhones now. Now, while the quarry isn't tied to like 
a specific theme or just one content that inspired it. Isles did say that the game has a general 80s feel. Certainly an homage to classic horror sleepaway camps, like sleepaway camp (laughs) (laughs) and the rest, you know. Now, with a place in mind and thinking about, like, let's do a sleepaway camp, let's do kind of that 80s slasher running through the woods kind of moment, he got to writing. Now, due to the tricky nature of writing a choose-your-own-adventure branching narrative game, which is all of these games, the story was actually written out in Excel, and then it was moved over to Final Draft for the actors to digest and understand how to read. Because if someone gave you an Excel fucking script, wouldn't you just lose your mind immediately? I am blown away that he would try to use an Excel spreadsheet. (laughs) You look upset right now. Oh, my gosh. I'm just like trying to picture it in my mind. Because, I mean, typically you think of it, I would probably put it in like PowerPoint, if anything. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I think in the Bandersnatch Netflix show where they show the branching narratives, it's just a giant chart. It's like a pyramid chart where they show off like, oh, if you do this move, you end up here and shit like that. Yeah, and so I'm trying to picture that doing it in Excel, and sure, you can. You're like, equal V lookup, act one, death. Yeah. And then <laughs> go from there. But it, it's, it worked. It worked for him. It rolled with it. And he said that there were about 10 to 12 potential deaths per character. So that's a crazy fucking spreadsheet, I'll tell you what. Holy shit, yeah, that's a lot of dead kids. <laughs> Don't bring it back. Now, um, in Until Dawn, there are a few different deaths characters can take, but it certainly wasn't on the level of 10 to 12 per playable character. Right. That's insane. Because of that, we're at about 186 identified different endings to the game. So, (laughs) how are you going to pull this off? Carefully. Please bear with me. (laughs) Everyone, just stay with me. This is going to be a real fun episode. Because... The script was over a thousand pages long, and that's what I'm trying to digest for you all today. Of course it was. <laughs> now, the general rule with scripting in a movie or a TV show or something filmed, one page is usually about one minute, just for context. Right. Now, Biles said that they would shoot about 50 pages a day. 50 pages? Which, holy shit. That's insane. Like, typically on a shoot day, you're shooting lucky 10 pages. I was going to say like five to 10 minutes is like a solid work day. Yeah. (laughs) Which is crazy. Now, for what it's worth, each performer only got the pages relevant to their character, which is kind of frankly just nice that they cut it down. They're like, we're not going to give you pages that you're not going to see just for context. You're fucking over it. Let's go. Yeah. You don't want to get a full thousand page script, even as a PDF. Right. Yeah. I'm not going to open that on anything. It's definitely going to break something. Or an Excel spreadsheet. (laughs) Do you think the tabs... No, I'm not even going to get into that. (laughs) Some characters and performers still received over 300 page scripts. Holy shit. I know. Now, the team had the fans in mind when they were working on the quarry. In comparison to its, like, sister game, Until Dawn is certainly a single-player game. You know, it's very easy to, like, just run it through by yourself. But they got a lot of word that people were doing it with friends or on live streaming or, you know, doing it like over text with people to see if they can get different outcomes. It was very cooperative in the community, but not in the gameplay specifically. And they were like, oh, no, I get you. How about we do some multiplayer features? Wait, really? Yeah. So they did this thing where different characters can be set to different adjustments, like sensitivity settings or other things like that, 
so people could pass the controllers back and forth and be like, I'm going to be all the girls and I'm going to be all the boys and I'm going to adjust it to how I like to play a video game and stuff. So it's very easy to have people join in, even if they're not super savvy with video games. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Now, another innovation that they launched with the Quarry is movie mode. Files was focused on making sure the game was as accessible as possible. Like we said just now, anyone can pick this up and play it. It's so fun. Within the realm and theme of accessibility, they created movie mode, which is actually just like a sliding scale of taking away gaming elements. So you can set it up to be like all the characters will be aggressive. So you'll see what happens if they're all aggressive without having to do the QTEs or be on the stick walking around and exploring shit. That's really cool, actually. I thought it was basically just going to be an easy like ABC choice or something like that. But no, this is just setting it on autopilot, but in terms of how you want them to act. Setting it on autopilot is a perfect description of that. Yeah. <laughs> That's a really cool mode. All right. that I can understand that and I can get behind that. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's like... What if you broke both your thumbs? Yeah. What are you going to do? Poke it with your nose? Like, that sounds terrible. Let's just watch it and be like, okay, I would play it angry or I would be aggressive or I would be really hesitant and not trusting. And within the director's mode, quote unquote, part of it, that's where you're like, okay, you be happy, you be sad, you be aggro. <laughs> I just also like that that part's called director mode when you're setting them up, which is very fun, but... Oh, it's so good. And no matter what your choices in the characters are, they have the content to fill in whatever the director's desires in any given situation are. So you do become the director of movie mode, which is so cool. Well, like you said, some of them had 300 page scripts. So yeah, <laughs> you want to get through all of them. Let's fucking go. <laughs> anyway, the team worked real hard. And on March 17th, 2020, the world was blessed with yet another bisexual nightmare of a cast <laughs> in the latest supermassive game. The trailer showed a bunch of sexy camp counselors stranded at the campsite after the last campers are picked up. The premise is set. They have to stay on site one more night and spooky shit will happen. That's all we got. And we were all very happy about it. Now, after this announcement, the internet was on fire looking into this insanely attractive cast and just being like, holy shit, this is coming out in a few months. And like, also just holy shit, the cast. <laughs> yeah, everybody is so ridiculously good looking in this. <laughs> Bisexual nightmare. Do you know how stressful this game is for a person like me? It's almost like stereotypes fully of each character and they're just the hot version of each of those stereotypes <laughs> they're like yeah but what if they were really hot and we said yes no it gives full-on like friday the 13th vibes totally now in step with until dawn the team did hire obviously crazy hot people to stress us all out now the cast for the quarry though in comparison to until dawn did have a few more scream queens and kings to like connect it to deeper horror, which is also kind of a nice meta moment for the genre. Off the bat, we have David Arquette from the Scream movies, or from wrestling, if that's your fandom, all good. Oh, Dewey, Officer Dewey from Scream. Sorry, I mean, I am such a big Scream fan. Oh, I know. I know you are. They're very good. And oh, he's he's a delight in this. I'm not going to bring it up when we get into the game, so I think it might take away from the story that I'm trying to tell, but... When he is introduced, he's the only character that has a special musical introduction, and it has been admitted to sound like Dewey's theme in Scream. Oh, Dewey's theme is classic, <laughs> too. I love that. It's a little guitar moment for him. It's very sweet. Dun, 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 dun. 
the fact that you know Dewey's theme oh, off the bat is I can wild the to me. Whole thing through my head right now. You are a bigger Scream fan than I think I gave you credit for. <laughs> Holy shit! I have a ghost face tattoo. How am I not? How did you not give me credit for it? I have a bunch of dumb tattoos. Like, <laughs> do you think I know everything about sharks? I have a couple tattooed on me. I just know sharks are big and wet. Like that's all I got. But I think they're cool. Yeah, you don't play Overwatch anymore. No, that's okay. Lance Hendrickson is in the game, and he is Bishop from the Alien movies. Oh, damn. There's Lynn Shay, who's kind of the older woman from the Insidious franchise. She's also Magda in There's Something About Mary, if you're our generation. Oh, nice. <laughs> Which is the complete opposite of any character that she plays in this or in Insidious, so don't worry about it. And Donnie Darko, she's the sparkle motion lady. Is she? Yeah. Good for her. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't call out Ted Raimi. Sam Raimi's brother, who was J. Jonah Jameson's assistant in the Spider-Man Toby trilogy. That's right. <laughs> Spider-Man forever. He's also in all the Raimi Evil Dead projects. He's in Candyman, so like super connected into horror. Okay, so it's like his Clint Howard. Yeah, and Sam Raimi, it, he is uh, obviously great with all the Marvel projects. He's done this Tobyverse. I really enjoyed Multiverse of Madness, especially over the first Doctor Strange. But he came up in horror. And I feel like people forget that because he gets these big budget, really wonderful projects that he knocks out of the park. But this dude started off with Evil Dead in the 70s and 80s and shit, you know, like. He's still making Evil Dead movies. He is. He just did like <laughs> Ash vs. Evil Dead was a TV show, I think, yeah. a couple of years ago. He and Bruce Campbell are joined at the hip and I love it very dearly. Yeah, it almost becomes like a Where's Waldo when you watch one of his movies to see where his brother is and where Bruce Campbell is. We elbowed each other during Multiverse of Madness when he showed up as the pizza sales guy on the street. I was like, oh, there's Bruce. <laughs> Hell yeah. Now, outside of these scream queens, we have the teen dreams, young hot people. The cast is rounded up by more screen performers like Brenda Song, who I love. Oh, yeah. Skylar Gisondo, who's the stunt driving son in The Righteous Gemstones. He was in Booksmart. I love him. Oh, if you're not watching The Righteous Gemstones, you should be. It's amazing. Justice Smith, who's the kid from Detective Pikachu, and he was just in Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, he's so good in both of those. He is, and they're very different. He can act. Yeah. He can for sure act. No, he's got range. And Ariel Winter, who is the middle daughter from Modern Family. Oh. <laughs> we love. She's the cutest. And of course... Beefcake Ethan Supley from My Name is Earl and Mallrats. Talk about a body transformation on a person. It's fucking Ethan Supley. He used to be a big boy and now he's a buff boy. Yeah, he is a strong, strong man today. But yeah, he used to be a very, very obese one. And it's just wild to see the transformation he's gone through. Calling him a very strong man, I think, is really wonderful. And as we get into this, that's kind of his defining feature as his <laughs> character in this game. So it's great. Well, I'm just glad that he's acting again. Oh, yeah, I know. He did take a break. And oh, he's so good in this. He has very few lines, but damn, he's not. He's just so good. Now, the cast archetypes and narrative needs came out of Will Biles' love for horror and like even some other elements of horror, and we're going to include Scooby-Doo in that. In interviews, he stated like, okay, well, we need a character that kind of fits this way, so we're going to make you the Velma of the group, and we're going to make you the Daphne of the group, and we're going to make you the Fred of the group. So he kind of admitted to assigning archetypes to certain characters in this, and you'll, you'll be able to see, you'll be able to vibe it if you play it, but... He admitted, he's like, Scooby gang, let's go. Oh, any good horror franchise needs a Scooby gang. 
Hell yeah. You're just thinking Buffy. I know. I was going to say Buffy called her group the Scooby gang. (laughs) Hell yeah. Give me a Scooby gang all day long. I love an ensemble piece. Now, this game performed pretty well. It got decent enough reviews overall in like the B-ish range with only a few outliers on either end of the masterpiece or bullshit end. Overall, the script and performances were largely praised. So, you know, that call sheet full of like incredible actors did pay off. Right. The actual release of The Quarry was only three months after the first announcement. So it was announced on St. Patrick's Day of 2022. And then by June 10th, it was out. Was it a Cloverfield movie? Holy shit. (laughs) Just jamming shit out. They didn't say anything until they were ready, which I respect. You know, more developers should do that now. Right. (laughs) Just shut the fuck up until you can show us something. Yeah. We only had three months to freak out about how cool this cast is until we actually met them on the campgrounds. Like, that's a fast fucking marketing campaign. Like, my heart hurts for those 90 days of sprint of, like, fuck the fuck. Put this in as many hands as possible. We need to get it out there. Yeah. The Quarry came out across PlayStation 4, 5. It came out on PC, Xbox One, Xbox Series XS. And it was a big step from their Sony exclusive titles back in the day, you know. Now we can be playing on all the things. But. Traveling outside of Sony probably eliminated a few of the mechanics that were exclusive to Sony. Oh, you you jumped right into it. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to get there when we hit our first kind of big differentiator, but there is a major gameplay element that's very different that we'll talk about in a little bit. The first month that the game was out, it did sell over 200,000 copies and has been doing relatively decent ever since. The horror genre doesn't have a lot of titles in general, just within this functionality. So it is kind of a niche thing. A lot of horror games are actually very, very difficult or like jump scare chasers. This certainly doesn't fall into either of those. This is more like a telltale game through like a really pretty lens. So (laughs) without the artistic stylings of a telltale game, to be very frank, but it's great. And they added all those collaborative efforts to it, too. Oh, certainly, certainly. So with all that context, I'm excited. Let's go to camp. I'm going to do this the same way we did until dawn. I'm going to walk us through the optimal ending where as many characters as possible survive. Okay, as possible. As possible. (laughs) Now, in my personal playthrough, I killed a whole bunch of people. Oh, no. Please let us know when. I did so. I'll tell you. I I tried really hard. (laughs) And I did really well. Until I didn't. And then I did fucking horribly (laughs) nonstop wall-to-wall sadness. But I did pretty well up until then. You were really cocky for a long time. You kept telling me as you were playing this, too. Like, I haven't let anybody die yet. I am doing so fucking well. I am killing this game. I am doing so well. And then the last day, you were like, I fucked it all up. (laughs) I beefed it. Yeah. (laughs) Oh. How's it feel? Shitty. It feels real (laughs) shitty. And now I have to talk about it. And I finished this like a couple days ago. So I feel extra shitty about it because it's fresh. It's usually me that does this. You fuck. (laughs) Anyway, let's have fun with this podcast. This is The Quarry. The game opens on a dark June night only illuminated by a gorgeous full moon. The roads weave between trees and a forest as an Ariana Grande song plays. An have, actual one? Yeah, I had to look this up. It's called Midnight. I don't know her very well. <laughs> Was it made for this game? No, I don't think so. Why would she do that? I don't know. <laughs> she got Ariel. Tom, she's so busy. <laughs> 
I don't. By the time this comes out, something else horrific will probably come out, or dramatic, or something. Bless her. I don't know her like that, but people talk about her. Yeah, I definitely didn't start this episode with that song. We would never get away with that. No, and they knew that too, because if you stream this game, you can put it into something called streamer mode, where it plays copyright-free music that you are able to stream. And this song is not available in the streaming version. I would imagine not if it's an Ariana Grande song. Yeah, they won't pay for that shit for you. They're <laughs> they're going to keep you from getting your copyright strike, which I do appreciate and think is very clever. But they're like, if you keep it to yourself, we'll play Ariana Grande. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot more games do that now. Have that mode just for all the times when they do have licensed music in their games. I think that's so considerate. I really appreciate that, frankly. I think streamers do, too. Hell yeah. A car glides gracefully down the road through the night as we see the cast credits kind of scroll through the opening. Inside the car are Max and Laura. Max is driving. He is Skylar Gazondo, the freckly redhead, and Laura is played by Shabon Williams. Laura is a sporty, outdoorsy girl who's a little type A, and she gets her shit done. She's a grad student who's about to start grad school in the fall, and she wants to be a veterinarian. That's pretty noble of her. Max is kind of like a loose, chill guy. He has no idea where he is at any point in his life. <laughs> He's a golden retriever. He's the golden retriever boyfriend to the type A girlfriend. Got it. Okay. It, I appreciate that you caught the, the trope immediately. Yeah, I know exactly who this guy is. <laughs> He's the himbo. Yeah. Laura's like, hey, Max, I think it's time to talk about the L word. And he's like, lesbians? <laughs> and she says, lost, dipshit, we're lost. <laughs> Laura is like, hey, we have no cell phone reception. We're out here in the middle of the woods, and we're fucking lost. So this is going great, golden retriever boyfriend. <laughs> great. They're on their way to a summer camp, Hackett's Quarry, where they were hired to be counselors for the summer right before grad school starts. So like one last unplugged summer together in the woods oh, i just love the name hackett <sighs> hackett's quarry is <laughs> a perfectly named camp for whatever the fuck this is <laughs> max takes his eyes off the road for just a second to look at a paper map and as he does something comes out into the middle of the road oh no this figure in the middle of the road is dark and it's difficult to see and we're moving pretty fast but max catches it and swerves as he does, the car slides and slips down into the forest where they eventually stop. Oh, shit. So down in the forest, Laura's like, what the fuck was that? He's like, I don't know. I, I, I Shit, I got to go check the car. So Max gets out, checks, like pops the hood, starts looking at the engine. He's like, ah, the engine's bad because we drove really <laughs> bad. So I'm going to go tinker with it. Laura is like, I think that might have been a person. Maybe it was an animal. It kind of looked like a person. And he's like, well, it's not, babe. Can you please calm down? <laughs> oh, my gosh. She's like, whatever. I'm going to go wander into the woods alone while you fix the car. Great job, Laura. Never the right idea. Laura has final girl energy and first killed stupidity. <laughs> and this is not a thing where I chose to wander off the games like, you're going into the woods now. And I was like, I don't think Laura would do that. But... Okay, let's go. Overly confident Laura. Yeah, so she's like, all right, let's see. Maybe I did hear something. I'm just going to cruise around. In the woods, Laura can find her first set of a collectible that we can find throughout the game. These are tarot cards. They are spread throughout the entire game, and we will need them in a little bit later. Oh, so these are not like one of those optional ones? 
They are very optional, but the more you get, the better. Okay. And well, they're not important yet, but they will be. There's some super weird shit in this woods, too. Like, there's posters for a traveling circus freak show posted in the woods. Like, who are you advertising to? <laughs> but it's a freak show called Harem Scarum that had come through town about six years ago. There's also some signage that Laura finds for a wolf boy named Silas. It's, it's probably not, whatever. <laughs> In the woods, as she goes deeper, Laura hears a woman whisper and then screams, hey, where are you? Obviously, nothing says anything because she's in a horror game. Right. Laura looks around and starts to get more and more on edge. And then as she does, a voice whispers right into her ear the name Silas. At this point, she gets terrified and goes hauling ass back to Max in the car where she should have never left in the first place. Yeah, I don't know why she did, but now she's got fucking Silas on her ass. (laughs) Back at the car, Max has figured out his shit with the engine, grabs her and hugs her as she runs up. He's like, okay, you're fine. What happened when you walked into the woods alone? Yeah, exactly. Laura's like, we're not alone. There's something out there and we need to leave right fucking now. There's a Silas out there. Yeah. They get back into the car and Max has the car up and running again. He's able to turn on the engine, but it's caught in mud. Great. Of course it is. The car spins out the tires a little bit and Max starts apologizing to a frantic Laura. And as he does, a man comes up to the window. They scream because wouldn't you? Yeah. And here they meet a cop played by the iconic Ted Raimi. Oh, okay. He makes sure they're fine and he walks around inspecting the car. They swerved off the road after something jumped out of them and got stuck. And that's exactly what they tell them. Officer Ted Raimi's like, okay, well, what are you even doing out here? What the fuck? And they're like, we're on our way to Hackett's Quarry Summer Camp, but we just got a little bit lost in the woods. Officer Ted Raimi tells them to go to the Harbinger Motel for the night. They're probably not going to make it to camp anyway. Just, like, go to the motel, sleep it off. You guys drove off the road. Like, don't go to camp all shaken up and shit. You dumbass kids. He gives them directions to the motel and also, like, points out where the camp is on the map. Is he going to help them drive or is it just going to leave the car there? He does get out. and He pulls the car out with his car. Oh, okay. Nice. He's not a dick. He's a little spooky, but I think that's just a Ted Raimi thing to be real. So he has like a winch. Yeah. He's able to pull them out, which is great. Okay. Good. I think that's just a cop car thing. Aren't they supposed to be equipped with shit like that? Not all of them. No. Yeah. It's fair. We're in the woods. It's like a small town kind of woods place. So like might not have the resources, but he's got this. This happens every fucking weekend. So Laura and Max get out of the mud. And they're like, all right, thanks, Officer Ted Raimi. We're going to camp. Like, fuck that guy. Fuck the motel. I don't have an extra $60 to blow on a fucking motel. Let's right? Just... These are children. Yeah. They're 22. Yeah, but... they're children. <laughs> Your brain's not developed fully until you're like 25, right? I think so. Some shit like that. <laughs> they already called and left Chris Hackett, who's the owner of the camp, a message. And Laura's like, it's fine. They already know we're here. So they get there and no one's there. And Max is like, you talked to him, though, right? And she's like, no, I told you I left a message. And he's like, that's not the fucking same. (laughs) And she's like, how is it not the same? And he's like, it's not the same because we're here and no one else is and we're locked out. How are you the smart one in our relationship? Should have gone to the hotel. I know. (laughs) Also, Harbinger Motel. Are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) It's the perfect name. I love that so much. Laura and Max poke around to see if there's any way they can get in for the night just to, like, even sleep on a couch in the lodge. Like, what the fuck? 
the camp does have this big ass lodge like right in the front of campus that they're like, all right, we're just going to pull up and try and get in here. It's clearly the main office and shit where everyone goes. There's a big mural on the side of the lodge that says, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, which, as we know, Kelly Clarkson invented in 2011. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck off. No, she didn't. Yes, she did. Oh, okay. But also. Thank you. This is how easy it is to convince Tom of facts sometimes. The kind of summer camp that has that for a motto, I don't think I want to go there. It's it's giving a little, like, we may hate you vibes. Yeah, this yeah. sounds like the camp for <laughs> troubled teens. <laughs> it might be the heavyweights camp during the rest of the year. Oh. Laura finds a storm shelter bunker door, which is kind of like those big yellow doors that open outwards. You go into when there's a storm and you, like, lock yourself in so the tornado doesn't eat you. I grew up in earthquake country, but I've seen them in movies. Yeah, I've seen Twister. And she sees something moving around under it, like, through the lights. She calls out to it, and she's like, hey, hey, are you okay? But she doesn't hear anything. So she's like, oh, I'm going to help break you out. Max, go get some tools. By the time Max comes over, the figure in the bunker is gone, but Laura is insistent someone is in there, and they have to help. They break the lock and go down to the basement, and Max asks Laura if she's seen the evil dead, which... He asks because they just saw Ted Raimi. I was going to say, like, I just saw the star of it. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the star. I know, he, but he was in it. He's like a POV ghosty moment, but <laughs> it's fine. Max hangs back towards the entrance of the shelter as Laura wanders around this, like, creepy-ass basement shelter just by the light of her phone. She finds what looks like a dog collar with the name Ian on it and the remains of a sheep that have been torn apart by another animal, which is so gross. But... There's also nothing else down here, so what the fuck? It's seemingly quiet now with no one around, and she's like, God damn it. Max tells Laura, hey, it's been a fucking night. Like, let's actually just go back to the motel. Like, let's sleep in a bed. I'm exhausted. Let's go. But then he's cut off. Something jumps and knocks Max over and attacks him. Laura runs back and sees Max is covered in blood. Oh, shit. Max is in shock and looks down at his own body to see tons of blood. And he goes, I think I'm bleeding a lot. Laura tries to prop Max up and drag him back up the stairs to safety away from whatever the fuck just attacked him. Yeah. But as they get to the top of the stairs, whatever attacked Max manages to grab out and drag him back down into the darkness of the basement again. Jesus, already? We hear Max scream. And then we see a needle go into Laura's neck. A needle? Officer Ted Raimi has drugged her. And then he fires three shots down into the basement. Should have listened to him. He screams. Does this look like the goddamn Harbinger Motel to you? (laughs) Hell yeah. The music kicks in. We get sweeping shots of the empty campsite now, lit up with the red and blue lights of Officer Ted Raimi's cop car. We land on the full moon lighting up the forest tree line and we get our title card. The quarry. That's how the game fucking opens. Oh, that's beautiful. (laughs) This perfect little vignette of what you're about to see. Now, between now and chapter one, we get our first of many tarot card breaks. Between each chapter, we find ourselves a player in a tent of a fortune teller. We bring her the tarot cards that we find, she reads them, and then she can give you a little glimpse of what could happen in the game that will end poorly. So it'll be like just a two-second snippet of one version of things that you might want to avoid. So it'll be like, oh, this person's on fire. Don't let them near fire. 
Oh, that's cool. So they're kind of like foreshadowing warnings. Yes, but it's also like this may not even happen and we're trying, you know, <laughs> like and until dawn, you got these totems that gave you lore of the story in the world. But in this one, they're like, we're just going to help you. OK, <laughs> accessibility, bitch. Just show you a glimpse of a possible multiverse world where this happened. Yeah. The Raimis love multiverses yeah. right now. <laughs> it's just like the psychologist interstitials in Until Dawn. I was going to say the Peter Stormare scenes. Yeah. Yeah. Chapter one. Hackett's Quarry forever. Hell yeah. Now, the epilogue took place in like late to mid-June because obviously you're coming to camp. Now, it's about two months later and it's like late August. A bus pulls out of a summer campground and waving the bus on, we see a handful of very sexy early 20-something hotties saying goodbye to their campers. These are the camp counselors of Hackett's Quarry, our playable characters for most of the game. Let's meet them so we know who we're working with. Okay, so those original teens, they're just nobody. They're gone. They're huh? gone, bitch. Oh, shit. One dude basically got eaten. The other bitch got a full needle to the neck from Ted Raimi. Oh, man. Nobody wants to see a golden retriever die. <laughs> you know, it's off screen. <laughs> <laughs> now, the first person we see is this confident white girl who's waving the bus on. There is a mod in the quarry that you can unlock where she can be dressed up as Daphne and there are a couple other characters dressed as their Scooby gang alter egos, which is very nice, but she's our Daphne. That's amazing. Which also helps with remembering who's who. Yeah, it does. Now, this is Emma, played by Halston Sage. Emma is funny, she's cool, and outside of her camp life, she's a lifestyle influencer who just posts videos of her life on the internet. Okay, full-on influencer. Full-on influencer, that's her whole personality. Yeah. Over the summer, she had a fling with another counselor, but they just broke up. Ooh. Emma broke up with the Boston-born and bred masshole, Jacob, who's played by Zach Tinker. I heard this guy's accent from the other room. <laughs> and you went, Dunkin' Donuts, and just went on with your life. It's so aggressively Boston. I love it. It's like the family in Bojack Horseman. <laughs> it's like any scene in The Departed. Yeah, he's so aggressively Boston. I fucking loved it. Now, Jacob is what would fall into like the sexy jock. He has the biggest Boston accent. He's very Abercrombie and Fitch. She's very preppy. He's like, you know, conventionally white boy attractive. Okay, probably plays lacrosse and football. Oh, totally. And he's going to college about four states away from Emma. So she was like, let's break up. And he was like, I thought we were getting married. I love you. And she was like, no. Depending on the four states, that's pretty fucking far. Yeah, it's not like a four corners situation where it's like you got to run around. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> you know, it's bad. He is so heartbroken that the, his, this is his whole arc is like, I have to get over this girl. Next to Jacob is Caitlin, who's played by Brenda Song. Caitlin is bossy and likes to be right and likes to be in charge. She's constantly just giving people direction. And right now she's giving Jacob shit about being heartbroken about the breakup. Caitlin just wants to be in control of everything and was for sure the camp counselor like barking instructions to everyone to get shit done. Like she runs a tight ship and she's also really great with guns. It's a great combination. I hate the word a lot, but is she kind of bossy? Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Okay. Now, I love her. <laughs> one question I have already. Is this game more or less horny than Until Dawn? It's less horny than Until Dawn. Really? Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. 
And until dawn, you can get down to some heavy petting in the makeout area. <laughs> uh, this does not go that far. Okay, I'm impressed. Now, behind them on the front porch of the camp's main lodge are two more counselors, Dylan and Nick. Dylan is this, like, goofy guy who's a bit of a romancing at heart. He's silly, but he's practical, and we love having him around. He's just, like, a fun friend to have. Okay. He's played by Miles Robbins, who does a fantastic playthrough of The Quarry on Twitch and YouTube with some other cast members, and I watched it to get some inside scoop. Very fun. He is a great streamer. Oh, that's great. He is completely the comedic relief of this game, and he's just... He's just as charming on stream, too. So you're like, oh, you seem like you're fun to hang out with. Next time is Nick, played by Evan Evagora, who's a sexy Australian counselor. That's all you need to know. <laughs> Nick is like, he's cool, but he's a little quiet and reserved, but he has an accent. So you can just imagine. Just imagine. And it's not Boston. No, it's Australian. <laughs> Gorgeous man. The last two counselors are Ryan and Abby. Ryan is this, like, tall, brooding, very introverted counselor. He listens to a lot of podcasts, which, like, I get it. <laughs> Particularly, like, occult or spooky shows. So probably, like, last podcast on the left he fucks with. Very much so. He's not very talkative, and he isn't funny or warm or cuddly, but he's tall. So both Dylan and Caitlin have huge crushes on him. <laughs> Ryan is played by Justice Smith, so maybe it's, like, the Detective Pikachu in him that has him focusing on, like, mysteries. Ooh, okay, I get There's it. something there. Finally, there's Abby, who's a well-meaning artist. She's shy and sweet and has a huge crush on Australian Nick, but, like, honestly, who wouldn't? I get it. <laughs> when you're young and action helps and you just get real far, you know? <laughs> She's played by Ariel Winter and is just such a sweet character who just wants to be loved. She's the virgin. <laughs> she is the Velma to a T. She's even got like red hair, like it's dyed red. She has like one artsy tattoo on her arm. She's so just like, I had a tumbler. She's the innocent one. Yeah. So this bus full of their campers drive off and Caitlin and Jacob talk for a bit. Caitlin's like, oh, it's so sad seeing all the campers break up at the end of summer. Hint, hint. <laughs> and Jacob's like, I don't know, sometimes things work out with the space gods in the universe. Space gods. Caitlin confronts Jacob and asks if Emma broke up with him. Jacob's like, quit it. Leave me alone. No. I'm heartbroken. They go over to the minivan and look at all the suitcases and bags stuffed in there so the counselors can all go home. Caitlin tells Jacob to go and find all the rest of the bags. And because he's a good little boy, he does that. At the lodge, Dylan and Nick refuse to let Jacob in because they're just being silly little boys. They're like, ha fuck you, it's locked. <laughs> Try me. Jacob has to get in through a back area, and he's like, he's just trying to do his job, so he's really cranky when he sees them. Inside, he's like, Nick, what the fuck? Nick is like, it was Dylan's idea, and it was funny, so fuck you. Real quick, who are you playing as during this? You bounce around, but for this part, you are playing as Jacob. You do play as all of these counselors at one point or another. Right, okay, but they are just kind of bouncing around to each character as they have something to do? Yeah. Okay, that's pretty innovative. Yeah. Yeah, with Until Dawn, it was a little more segmented, I think. Maybe you may have one or two characters per chapter, but this one, I think it's about three characters per chapter that you can bounce around in, give or take. Oh, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, so right now you're Jacob. Anyway, you go over... Nick is inside the lodge waiting for Mr. H, Mr. Hackett, to grab the cell phones of all the counselors so they can finally be reunited with the internet. (laughs) 
This Mr. H, like I said, is Mr. Hackett, Chris Hackett, who's the owner of the camp. Mr. H is apparently the only grown-ass adult on the property because everyone else is, like, college-aged, which is wild. Jacob brings the bags up to Caitlin, who immediately starts giving him more shit about Emma breaking up with him. Jacob's like, okay, well, you have a crush on Ryan. And Caitlin's like, yeah, Ryan is a sexy sailing instructor. Of course I want to fuck him. <laughs> but also, like, a breakup's hard enough. Why are you making it harder for somebody? She doesn't give a fuck about his feelings. <laughs> She's like, I want the truth. And he's like, I told you. And she goes, no, I want the better truth. Fuck you. He's like, I can't handle the truth. Yeah. And while they're talking, Jacob does slip and he's like, I really thought I saw a future with Emma, but she only saw this as a summer fling, which is so sad. (laughs) Jacob tries to pull it off. He's like, no, no, like, I think I'm a cool guy. I could charm the pants off of a snake. And Caitlin is even more assured that Emma broke up with him for the right reasons after hearing that (laughs) fucking thing. Yeah. (laughs) First off, snakes don't wear pants. And maybe it's a Boston thing. Maybe so. I've never been there. Maybe the snakes have pants. (laughs) Jacob wants to check out the van to make sure it'll run okay, since it's kind of an old shitty car and it has to get all of them back down to town. While he's popping the hood, Jacob curiously and kind of stupidly asks Caitlin, hey, if I were an asshole and wanted to spend another night here, what would I do to break the car? Caitlin's like, well, I guess you could... uh, fuck with this or you could fuck with that but you shouldn't do that because that's a bad thing she does mention that if the rotor arm of the engine was messed up the car wouldn't run jacob's like all right those are my options and he pockets the rotor arm in his pants and caitlin does not think twice about this interaction at all when later she finds out that it's not working she doesn't question it nope what a dumbass jacob figures he'll just put the rotor arm back in the morning and like it's fine but tonight They'll be stuck there for one more night, and for one more night, he can hang out with Emma. Oh, if the summer doesn't end, neither does the relationship. Exactly! Is that not the saddest shit? That is the most pathetic thing I've ever heard. (sighs) It's so sad. He's going to get a lot of people killed for this mistake. (laughs) I did? (laughs) Shit. Not in this run-through, though. Dylan and Nick come back with the counselor's cell phones, but there's no service this deep in the woods anyway. So everyone kind of is like, my phone! And they go, oh, no one gave a shit. I was <laughs> gone for two months. Fuck. We don't have service. Now, across the campsite, over by, like, the student cabins, we see Abby. She's being brooding and artsy and drawing in her journal. Her drawing is of Emma, who appears to be her best camp friend, which is kind of sweet, like the dork and the influencer. Right. The Daphne and the Velma. Abby works on her emo little drawing for a bit when Emma comes up to her on a golf cart. Emma reports that all the campers have gone and they high five. I think Abby especially appreciates this friendship because Emma is so bubbly and extroverted where she's very quiet and introverted. Very opposites attract kind of a friendship. Yeah. Their bags are trapped inside of a locked cabin. So Abby's been stuck there waiting for someone with a key or something to like let them in so they can grab their shit. Emma's like, fuck that. We wait for no one. And they break down the door. (laughs) Emma grabs her bags and heads off to the golf cart to wait for Abby. As Abby grabs her bags and explores the campsite for the last time, she sees a tree carving that says, Jacob and Emma forever. 
but the forever is scratched out, and now it says for summer. <laughs> These kids are fucking ruthless. That's so great that he went in and was like, I need to update this. Yeah. Also, maybe it wasn't him. Maybe the campers were watching, and they're like, yo, he definitely got dumped last night. Oh, that'd be so tragic. We got to go update our graffiti. <laughs> In the golf cart, Abby drives herself and Emma back to the lodge so they can pack up and hit the road. The girls have a little heart-to-heart where Abby asks about Emma's confidence, who just encourages Abby to be more confident in general. Like, maybe it'll help get Nick's attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Abby's like, ah, yeah, I like Nick. <laughs> <laughs> in this sequence, Abby literally says the phrase jinkies. Seriously. Yeah, they know what they're doing. <laughs> You it, know what I like about it? The heavy-handedness? The heavy-handedness. Oh, goddamn. It's my favorite part. Abby asks Emma about Jacob, and Emma tells her that Jacob's going to school four states away, so he understands, I think. When pressed, Abby's like, I really like Nick, and I have his email from the contact packet that they gave us, so I can reach out later or something. Oh my gosh, not even from him, like just like the group text. Yeah. Oh shit. Emma's like, shut up. Before going to the van, the girls take the scenic route on the golf cart as a victory lap before going to the campgrounds. On their drive, they see the island. Now, in the quarry, there's obviously a lot of forest and campsites. There's also a lake on campus that the forest surrounds. And within that lake, there's a very small island in the middle of the lake that has a big tree house. On their drive back, they go by near the lake, look at the view, and they see the island has something burning on it. Mm. Emma's like, huh, that's weird. Maybe Mr. H is just like burning some shit before the end of summer. I don't know. That's crazy, though. (laughs) They do access the little island pretty quickly. Like, there's zip lines to it from the mainland. There's a lot of little boats. Super easy to pop back out, too. The girls get back with the other counselors, and Abby goes right up to Nick and goes, Hi, Nick. Dylan realizes his phone is dying already, and he's like, God damn it, I have to go get my phone charged up. There's a lull, and then Nick offers to get Abby's bag into the van. What a gentleman. Abby is glowing. Oh, I bet she is. Caitlin's like looking around, and she's like, wait, sexy Ryan is missing. But as she says that, he pops up just to be like, what the fuck, man? He's like, no, I'm not. I'm here. He says he was just sitting over there listening to a paranormal podcast called Bizarre Yet Bonafide. So in this world, there is a podcast called Bizarre Yet Bonafide that does cover scary shit in the world. (laughs) As a marketing campaign within those three months between announcement and release, they did release a total of six episodes of this podcast. Really? Yeah. And are they related to the game? Entirely, because they're canonical to the game. Now, this podcast is a real podcast hosted by two fictional, like, spooky hunters but real-life married podcasting couple Brian Murphy and Emily Axford from the Dropout College Humor Network. Oh, my God. Literally living our dream. I know, bitch! <laughs> so they also host a podcast called NADPOD, Not Another D&D Podcast, where they do, like, live plays of D&D campaigns. They do all the Dimension 20 shows as well. Like, they literally are just professional D&D players. And professional D and D player is a <laughs> real fucking title today. It's oh, yeah. amazing. <laughs> this is the world we live in. Now, the finale of this podcast, as we know it in our realm, realm, yeah, is called the Hag of Hackett's Quarry, and this is the episode that Ryan is listening to in this game. So we'll talk about that for a little bit, because Caitlin and Dylan also are like, 
what the fuck is the hag of Hackett's quarry? And Ryan explains that it's a campfire story about an old woman who died in a fire on Hackett's quarry's property a couple years ago. She haunts the woods and is looking for her lost baby boy, Silas. No, Silas. <laughs> Crazy, right? There were some reports of ghosts and a rumor that if she finds you in the woods, she'll like kill you or turn you into her son. He can't remember which. He wasn't paying attention to the podcast. <laughs> Your mind tends to drift. I hope none of you are right now. But <laughs> Ryan has been listening to his podcast a lot through this section of the game, and you can hear snippets of the conversations if you kind of stand near him. But if you want to hear more, there's always more. They're still available in different places to access and download, which is really cool. Oh, that's wild. The camp counselors remember a time the campers were scared shitless from one of Ryan's ghost stories when Mr. H comes out to check on the counselors on their loadout. Mr. H, of course, is played by David Arquette, Officer Dewey himself, and that's where we get our fucking musical cue. Oh, David Arquette. I love him in so many things. <laughs> he's middle-aged, he's kind, but he's still very stern because he's the grown-up in charge. He asks Ryan to come up and help him with something. Upstairs in his office, Mr. H is like, hey, I get a lot of mail and calls from parents saying their kids are traumatized by your ghost stories. So <laughs> I'm going to ask you as a friend to not traumatize the campers. That's hilarious. Ryan is like, ah, Chris, I'm sorry. Like Ryan and Mr. H are really close. Ryan can call him by his first name and it's not a weird thing, which is kind of sweet. <laughs> Ryan also asked Mr. H like hey so I'm thinking about going to animation school but I don't know if I can leave my sister like my family's all crazy and Mr. H is like hey I just need you to get on the road um, <laughs> I'm a little scrambled right now like I need to find my keys I need to get you guys out here before it's dark because I don't want you guys driving in the dark Ryan's like oh no okay I trust you, you you're looking out for us I got you Mr. H let's go also, he's a man that lives alone in the woods. Don't ask him. Yeah, he's seen some shit. <laughs> We're in a horror game, bitch. Mr. H also warns Ryan that hunting Susan starts right as soon as camp is over. So, like, I really need to get you guys out of here. People are going to come out here with guns. I don't want anyone to be in the woods and get mistaken for a deer or some shit. Like, fucking go. They're just going to start shooting. Oh, yeah. Ryan asked Mr. H to say goodbye to his teenage kids, Caleb and Kaylee, who have already left the grounds. Mr. H is like, oh, you'll see them next year, but of, of course, I'll send them your best. Mr. H finally finds his keys, and he's like, all right, Ryan, let's get the van moving. You're my favorite counselor. Get off my property. Like, actually says you're my favorite counselor? He says something to that effect. If you play <laughs> your cards right, he will admit you're his favorite, which is always fantastic, especially for like a people pleaser. I'm like, I am your favorite. Yes. Yes. Tell me more. Outside, Mr. H locks the lodge and comes down to make sure everyone's ready to get out of Dodge. Jacob takes the keys and gets behind the wheel, but the car doesn't turn over. What? Oh, no. Jacob plays dumb and is like, I don't know, Mr. H, it's not working. Maybe it's the engine? Just the engine? <laughs> Question mark? Yeah. <laughs> Mr. H is like, what the fuck? And pulls Jacob out of the car to try and turn it over himself. The car doesn't turn over, of course, because it's missing a fucking rotor arm that's two feet away in Jacob's pants. But Mr. H starts yelling like, ah, oh, you goddamn kids should have checked everything. I told you to check all the things. Just blames the kids for it. Yeah. And the counselors all stand around a circle watching this man have a tantrum. He's sitting there just being like, tee hee hee. Jacob is like, yeah, tee hee hee. I guess we'll just have to spend one more night here. I don't know. 
Mr. H is like, absolutely not. He checks the engine. He slams the van hood down and he just starts screaming. And then he's like, you know what? Fine. Jacob's right. You stay here one more night. Mr. H throws the keys to Ryan because Ryan is his favorite and pulls Ryan aside to be like, everybody stays in the lodge all night. No one in, no one out. Lock the doors. I'll be back first thing in the morning. Oh, Ryan's like, absolutely, Mr. H. You, you can trust me. I'm your favorite. He had a hot date that he is not wanting to cancel. <laughs> Satisfied, Mr. H drives off and screams, lock the doors and keep the noise down. <laughs> like, he goes from a cool dude to a crotchety old man real fucking quick. Yeah, he was ready to get away from those fucking kids. Wouldn't you be? He tears ass down the road away from the counselors, and they all look at each other, and they're like, what the fuck was that? He had a meltdown and then drove off. <laughs> Ryan tells the group to stay inside and we're not leaving until the morning because that's what Mr. H said. Emma's like, no, what the fuck? What do we do? Let's go wander in the woods. Ryan's like, absolutely not. He said to go inside. We're going inside. But always the charmer. Dylan is like, or, 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 hear me out. P-A-R-T. Why the fuck not? Oh my God, he did not say that. <laughs> he says it verbatim, Tom. Oh, that's so bad. It's good. I love Dylan. Dylan's my favorite character. One last bonfire for old time's sake. Jacob, being a party boy, is like, oh, fuck yeah, I'm in. Jacob goes person by person down the line, getting everyone's consent to the party, which I also really love for this game. Okay. Abby's like, but Mr. Hackett said we should go inside because, you know, she's a little baby virgin. Jinkies. Ryan can put up a little bit of a fight, but the group has spoken. We are partying in the woods tonight, and Dylan tries to reassure Ryan that everything's going to be fine. Like, I know you love Mr. H, but you could love me. Like, let's hang out by the fire, whatever. All these desperate little kids. Do you remember being in your early 20s? Barely. See, it's just horny. I was drunk the whole time. That's why you don't remember. <laughs> now, Jacob jumps in to do what he does best, rally the troops, because that's Fred. He also jumps into what horror movies do best, and he makes everyone split up. Oh, God. Jacob's like, all right, Nick and Abby, you guys go get firewood. And you have a crush on each other, so it's cute. Emma and Jacob, you and I are going to go for supplies. I'm going to hang out with my ex-girlfriend. Dylan, charge the fucking phones. I don't know. You figure something out. <laughs> then the camera moves to a sniper's viewpoint of the counselors. Oh, Jesus. This is our first look at the hunters. We see an old man holding a rifle and through the sniper lens at the counselors. He puts the gun down and then starts smearing blood all over his face. This is Lance Hedrickson, Bishop from Alien, playing Jebediah Hackett. Hackett, as in the Hackett camp we're at right now. And Chris Hackett, yeah. Oh, shit. He is the patriarch of the Hackett family. Yes, the same Hackett family. <laughs> and down the way, we see a huge man wearing only overalls, covering himself in blood as well. He hammers down a sign that says, hunting season. Big boy is Ethan Suplee, Bobby Hackett. Oh, hell yeah. And it's big, strong Ethan Suplee, not chubby Ethan Suplee? Honestly, the overalls don't do him justice. He just looks like a big dude. Okay. We see the old woman with the tarot cards again in her little fortune teller tent, and then we start chapter two, Truth or Dare. I also want to let you know that the chapter titles are meaningless. Okay. Don't read into them. <laughs> <laughs> we start at the general store, which has long closed down with camp being over. Emma has her phone back and is immediately filming a vlog of herself as she watches Jacob struggle to pick the lock of the camp store. 
She's silly and loose and fun and funny while Jacob is focusing really hard on the task at hand. He's probably just trying to impress her, which I can appreciate, but like, shut up. He does make it, and they get to play around in an empty corner store all by themselves looking for beer. The store was mostly for kids on camp to buy, like, sodas and shit, but Jacob is convinced there's a chance there could be beer somewhere. Like, Mr. H has a secret stash. He's the only adult. Of course he's drinking. Yeah, but also, why would he keep it there? Also, these kids are in their 20s. (laughs) If they can get one car working or, like, send two people down to, like, the next liquor store, they can get alcohol. It's not that big of a deal. It's not that deep. Yeah. Emma is like, okay, well, I'm in this. So they both go wandering around looking for this mythical beer that may or may not be here. From outside the store, we see Bobby Hackett moving by a window, watching her. Deep in the store, Emma finds the back room and she and Jacob find Mr. H's stash, which like, oh shit, this actually worked. This makes no sense. He actually had a stash. Jacob immediately finds a case of bottles and is like, this is perfect. We nailed it. Let's go. In the back room, Emma also finds two backpacks that look like they've been torn up. Emma's like, holy shit, they look like they've been through a bear attack. That's fucking crazy. Oh, damn. There are also some flyers for some traveling freak show called Harem Scarum, a sideshow spectacular showcasing fortune and freaks and mystery and magic. Why would Mr. H have this shit? That makes no sense. Yeah. Ooh. We've seen this before. Emma can also find a gun in this point, which you should, because the shotgun is always a good thing to have in a game, especially when things are trying to kill you. In a horror movie, yeah. Jacob's like, what are you going to do? Keep the fucking gun? Emma's like, yeah, for bears, dipshit. And then Emma strikes the jackpot and finds some fucking fireworks. And Jacob's like, hell yeah, fireworks. Fuck yeah, fireworks are dope. Emma tries to talk to Jacob about the bloody backpack she found. She's like, that's fucking crazy. What the fuck? But Jacob... Finds peanut butter butter pops and is completely overwhelmed with joy and nostalgia. I get it. I love a good peanut butter dessert. (laughs) Emma has no idea what the fuck this snack is. So Jacob starts singing and dancing the theme song. Oh my God. Do you want me to do it? Like a giant child, please. Pop, pop, peanut butter pops. Pop, pop, pop them in your mouth. Pop. Oh, my God. Did he go that high, too? Yeah. In the Boston <laughs> accent. This does not help Emma. And she's like, I genuinely don't know why you're like this. I'm glad we broke up. Yeah. <laughs> Jacob talks about how they're like their own snack. It's not really popcorn. It's just really fucking good. And they're probably not expired. And Emma's like, you're gross. Goodbye. They're only 14 years old. Yeah, it's fine. Jacob's like, whatever. There's a wheelbarrow out there to load up the hall. So let's get the wheelbarrow. And go to the bonfire. And this drove me crazy because I'm pretty sure the word is wheelbarrow. And he kept saying wheelbarrow. I'm not sure which one it is, actually, because it is kind of a barrel on wheels. Yeah. Okay. So maybe it's regional. This is an East Coast game. Yeah. Okay. Because I was like, it's wheelbarrow. But then I was like, what's a fucking barrow? I don't know. I know what a wheelbarrow is. I get it. I don't know. Anyway. (laughs) Back at the lodge, Ryan and Dylan are in Mr. H's office to charge phones so they're not, like, as stranded. To kill time, Dylan asks Ryan about the podcasts he listens to and, like, really poorly covers his crush on this gorgeous boy, Ryan. Ryan's, like, still really kind of stiff and awkward and not super talkative. He's just not a warm dude. Mm -hmm. Ryan uncomfortably talks about his interests in the weird and wonderful and the dive into what's bona fide. Dylan just goes, (laughs) boner fide. (laughs) (laughs) Dylan pokes around Mr. H's office while they wait for the phones to charge and he's just he's literally just trying to make Ryan laugh he's trying so hard and Ryan's like 
brick wall. Can't handle it. Dylan sees a gun on the wall and asks Ryan about it. Ryan's like, oh, Mr. H had it for bears, but the bears don't really come around because of the gun, which, okay. Yeah. They don't know what the gun is. Do you think they have a bear network that says, oh, that's a gun heavy area where we shouldn't go there because we're bears? The crime map here is really high. Yeah. Ryan's like, don't touch anything. Dylan's like, but there's a gun and we're in a horror game, so we should bring it to hang on to just in case of the bears. Good call. He says that he, his mom told him if he's going to party to bring protection. <laughs> Ryan's like, she was probably talking about condoms. And Dylan's like, why aren't you funny? <laughs> Is he just like autistic, you think? I don't think so. No? Dylan's like, I'm not going to fuck a bear. Why would I need a condom for a bear? Ryan does not understand why this is the funniest fucking thing to happen to him. <laughs> Behind Mr. H's desk is a trap door in the floor, which is not creepy at all. Dylan can also like swing and ask Ryan for his phone number, which Ryan doesn't realize is like a move and just like, haha, you can call me then. That'll be funny. And Dylan's like, I would like to call you because I want to put my mouth on your mouth. What the fuck? My mouth on your mouth. Dylan also finds the names of two counselors who didn't show up and made them work extra shifts this summer. Laura and Max. Those bastards. Just never made it to camp. Oh, no. And Ryan's like, oh, yeah, they just no-call, no-showed. Isn't that crazy? Ah, it is. But they got lost. And something horrible happened to them. Yeah. Dylan finds a family photo of Chris Hackett and his son, Caleb Hackett, and his daughter, Kaylee Hackett. Dylan's like, hey, are they weird? And Ryan's like, oh, I I I hang out with them. I think they're really cool. And Dylan's like, yeah, yeah, they're really fucking cool. Can we kiss? (laughs) (laughs) Dylan pokes around a bit more and finds another locked door. Now, Ryan was trusted with the keys, so we need him to, like, buy in and unlock this shit, too. So Dylan has to, like, schmooze him a little bit. But inside this little door, Dylan finds some changes of clothes. Boring. A small bedroom, a small bathroom, and then a secret door behind the closet. A secret door. That's sometimes good. Sometimes. Dylan is so excited seeing the secret door and wanders into, like, what turns out to be a surveillance room. Oh, God. so it's a bad one. Bad secret door. <laughs> no, no, hear me out. The room shows cameras all over the camp that are, they clearly didn't know about going into camp. Right. Dylan wonders if Mr. H was spying or being a creep. And Ryan's like, no, these are all trail cameras. They're set up to look at the trails. He's not being a creep. This is probably a safety thing. Dylan doesn't buy it. He's like, nah, that's creepy. Why is this room hidden? It's weird that this is a secret room. Like. There's something juicy in secret rooms, and this is all cameras. Ryan really pushes to drop it in defense of Mr. H, and Dylan's like, whatever. That's a really good point, though. Why is it behind a secret wall? Yeah, like, it could just say security and be its own room, but it's, like, hidden in his office. Yeah, that is a little creep. Dylan can hang out, watch the cameras, and something spooky will happen if you linger here long enough, but it's okay to move on. What's the spooky thing? You get someone showing up on a camera... Really quick and out of nowhere, and it's very spooky. Oh, I love that. As Dylan's leaving, he sees some mail that was actually addressed to Laura and Max sent to the camp, those counselors that never showed up. Mm -hmm. So weird. After the phones are charged and leased out of the red zone and in the green, Dylan and Ryan head out to the bonfire. Out in the woods, Nick and Abby are on a mission for firewood to heat up their romance. Everybody's trying to get it in tonight. I know, but they're all being very polite. Abby's like, oh, it's so nice being here without the kids. And Nick mentions that the kids seem to like her during her art classes, which is way out of the way for most of the camp. So Abby's like, oh, you came to my classes? Oh, my God. 
That's so sweet of you. <laughs> they make bad conversation about finding good sticks for firewood and what they're going to do in the future with their lives and shit. Nick is like, I just try to roll with the punches and let fate take the wheel. Abby's like, that feels pretty convenient. Um, Okay. <laughs> she's like kind of pedantic about shit like this and also backpedals but to be like oh but you know you do you whatever she's got like a 14 year plan yeah she's it's just Alex from Modern Family yeah <laughs> <laughs> farther down the trail they come up on this gorgeous sun setting through the woods across the lake the trees are illuminated orange and their shadows cast deep through the early evening Abby stops grabs her sketch pad and starts drawing the sunset and Nick is just fucking standing there watching this happen. Abby kind of blows off Nick trying to make conversation and furiously sketches out the silhouettes of the forest glistening off the lake. Nick is like, hey, Abby, uh, draw me next. And she's like, I need to focus on this. Can you? I'm doodling. Can you leave me alone? <laughs> Can you not? Abby abruptly looks up from her drawing after she hears something. They look down and see a tiny baby piglet. Aww. It's the cutest fucking thing in the world. Abby runs over and starts petting him, saying, oh, my God, he's so cute. There's something just a freaking adorable about a baby pig. And not adorable about a big one. No, adult pigs are just really gross looking and even the clean ones. But yeah, baby pigs were a teacup pig. Oh, Holy my God. Holy shit. Unreal. Nick tells her to hold on as he approaches something in the bushes. And as he does, the mama pig jumps out. I was going to say, if there's a baby, there's got to be a mama. Oh, that's the rule of the forest. Nick pushes Abby out of the way of the angry mama pig and then goes through our first don't breathe section of the game. Now, I'm going to take a step from the narrative for a second just to describe this. So to backtrack, Until Dawn was a PlayStation 4 exclusive, and it took advantage of the haptics of the specific controller that came out with the 4. With that 4, there was a thing where... In Until Dawn, you would get a prompt saying, don't move. And the controller would have to be held as still as possible. And if you moved a little bit, you would fail the QTE. Yeah, it was a great mechanic. Oh, it was incredible. It's what I think of when I think of Until Dawn. Yeah. Now, because this came out across the Xbox family, the PlayStation family, and on PC, they have no way of controlling the haptics across there to have an even playing experience for everything. Right, because a lot of those controllers don't have the light bar. Yeah, or if you're just doing PC, what are you going to do? Be like... I'm going to stand next to my space bar and not move. <laughs> what the fuck? So with the quarry, they do a mechanic called don't breathe, where you hold a button down to hold your breath while you're in danger. And it functions in the same vein and in the same spirit as the don't move prompt, but it's just holding down X. And it's just a single button? Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Which feels like one step forward for accessibility, two steps back in terms of gameplay. Yeah, Which is my biggest criticism of the game. It would be really different if it was like testing the pressure of how hard you hold down X or something. But Yeah, or you know, there are some button mash prompts in there. Maybe it could be like a double button prompt or something. So it's like you can engage. I don't know. I'm not a game designer, clearly. But I did feel a little let down in that section um, in terms of gameplay. Or at least like the yoga section in Grand Theft Auto V. Yeah, which has translated across all of those same platforms. You're right. Yeah. Anyway. It's a watered-down version of Don't Move, but this comes up a couple times. The mama pig sniffs Nick and snorts and walks away as Nick jumps up and runs to Abby. Abby starts giggling at the interaction, and Nick tells her that that pig almost mauled me to death. <laughs> and Abby's like, little piggy, oh! It was a pig, not a boar. Yeah. Nick and Abby pick up their sticks and figure they might as well head back to the bonfire. They've got a fun story and a whole bunch of wood to burn. 
Over at the fire pit by the shore, Caitlin is getting the pit ready with some sticks she found, which are really good sticks. I don't know why they went off when Caitlin can do anything she needs to. She picks up her phone and is like, yep, still no service. But she snaps a shot of the building on the island just over on the other side of the lake. Mm. It looks like there's a light on in the treehouse, which is weird, but everyone should be gone by now. It's probably nothing. <laughs> Dylan comes in and is like, hey, guys, guess what? Mr. H is a creep. <laughs> there's cameras all over camp. Ryan is like, hey, hey, no, it's just their trail cameras just for safety. It's probably an insurance thing. Leave it alone. I'm sure half of them already think he's a creep anyway. Yeah. Caitlin's like, honestly, that's reasonable. I get it. Anyway, Caitlin reminds Dylan and Ryan that this may be the last night that any of them see each other. Oh, because they're going to die. Because they're going to college. <laughs> Nick and Abby come up with all their firewood and Abby tells everyone how brave Nick was when the hog attacked them. <laughs> Coming out of the store, Emma and Jacob come in with a bang as Emma shoots the shotgun to alert them of their presence. I'm here, bitches. Yeah, just the influencer being like, look at me. <laughs> I'm loud. Jacob is pushing a wheelbarrow full of watermelons and some random bottles. Caitlin is immediately mad about the gun, and she's like, you better fucking watch it. I do not care for that shit. I love gun safety. Nick spies the peanut butter butter pops and gets so excited that he looks at them and he and Jacob immediately jump into the song and dance. They both know it. Oh, I mean, anybody that knows a good jingle, everybody knows the good jingle. And Nick's Australian. This is an international snack. I mean, it's apparently a very important peanut butter snack. Yeah. They decide to fight over the bag of butter pops and Jacob takes the gun from Emma. He offers to do a shoot off for the bag. And Caitlin is like, what the fuck? Can we not play with guns right now as we're going to start drinking, you fucking idiots? Yeah, but we're going to shoot the guns before we start drinking. Yeah, this does backfire and Nick agrees to the shoot off. <laughs> Caitlin snatches the gun from both of them and decides she's going to be the judge for the shoot off for the butter pops. She makes them promise to be good and the three of them go off to shoot for candy. Caitlin sets up a little shooting range with some bottles and some watermelon and yells at them to shut the fuck up and listen to her. Jacob does lean over to Nick and is like, is it me or is she hot when she gets like this? <laughs> Caitlin heard that and screams, I'm always hot, pencil dick. That I, is Brenda's song to a T. I fucking love Caitlin so much. Jacob asks Nick about spending time with Abby and like cheers him on like, I know you have a crush on her. Go get you some. Nick is, is coy and he's like, she's cool and she's smart and it's, I have a good time flirting with her. <laughs> Caitlin yells at them about gun safety, and then you have, this just turns into the gun shooting tutorial, but it's, it's fun. Hey, at least you get a gun. Nick goes first, and then by the time it's Jacob's turn, Jacob gets disqualified for accidentally pointing the gun at Nick. That's like the first rule is you don't point a gun at someone. You never point a gun at anything you don't intend to destroy. Yes. Unless you're a cop. Oh, God. But you never do that. Caitlin sees all this, snatches the gun away from this irresponsible child, and then expertly snipes every last target. So plot twist, neither of the boys get the peanut butter butter pops. Caitlin does. Good for you, bitch. She doesn't even know the jingle. She does. Oh, she does. She reveals she does know the jingle. Uh, She's just not a fucking dork and won't do the dance for you. <laughs> She's not your monkey. A bit later, the sun goes down and the full moon comes up to illuminate the entire camp. The counselors are sitting around the fire together, kind of on the beach of the lake, one last time for their last night at the quarry. Dylan pitches to the group a game to make some memories before the end of summer, 
which of course is truth or dare. The classic game. Oh, yeah. Dylan also makes it clear that if it's a dare that includes a kiss, everyone in the party must consent. Like, I, I really appreciate that this game is like, do not kiss anyone. Do not coerce people into kissing each other. If you're going to do this shit, be polite. Yeah. Now, Dylan goes first, and his first contestant is Abby, who chooses truth because she's a fucking virgin. <laughs> Dylan asks her if she's ever had sex. <laughs> he asks her if she's a virgin. Abby starts stumbling and looks fucking panicked. Oh. And then Dylan sees this and is like, oh, that was too far. Backtracks and is like, have you slept with anyone at camp? She says, no, I absolutely have not. But everyone knows what she meant by all of that. Yeah. The V card is hanging around your neck and that's okay. (laughs) Do it when you feel comfortable. Right. It's okay if you're a late bloomer. It's okay if you're not a bloomer. It's okay to be ace. Live your life. Honestly, you're in a horror movie probably better you don't have sex right now Uh, yeah traditionally you're in a good position baby girl yeah truth or dare goes on for a few rounds until caitlin dares emma to kiss jacob her ex or nick abby's crush and abby's like her best friend there like what the fuck now emma's been kissing jacob all summer so jacob gets cocky and is like don't worry nick i got this emma is like no the fuck you don't walks over to nick and just As she does, Abby is locked on, eyes on Nick. Like, no, no, that's my man's. Emma sits on Nick's lap, and they full-on make out. Nice. Jacob is like, you guys, you guys. And they don't stop until the second time he yells. Oh, he is mad. Nick looks down at his feet while Abby looks like she just got the wind knocked out of her. Emma gets up, sits back down next to Abby, leans into her, and she says, He's good. (laughs) After this, Abby just stands up and darts off into the woods. Oh, my God. Poor girl. (laughs) Jacob gets mad at Nick and starts yelling at Nick for some fucking reason and then also storms off into the woods. So now sad virgin Abby and jock masshole Jacob have just darted into the woods angry that these two people kissed each other. Well, I am hopeful for one of them. (laughs) I hope you're hopeful for Abby. Sorry, it's just so funny to me that they both storm off in opposite directions and everyone's like, are you fucking serious? Everybody's just a big baby. Emma yells after Jacob to grow the fuck up. She then looks at Nick and she's like, you should probably go find Abby. I'll go find Jacob. And sure, gang, let's fucking split up again. Caitlin is like, so does anyone want to play Parcheesi? (laughs) And I saw that scene. She really does say Parcheesi. Yeah. From above, we see Jedediah and Bobby Hackett walking in the woods. They look down at the bonfire and the campers, and Jedediah says, oh, fuck this. <laughs> tarot cards, tarot cards, tarot cards. Chapter three, Trouble in Paradise. Deep in the woods, Abby is wandering around alone, kicking herself for storming off. She's like, this is embarrassing. I should not be this mad about it. And then she realizes she's the virgin in a horror movie alone in the woods. (laughs) Abby kind of wanders around spooking herself, thinking she's hearing whispers from a woman somewhere deep in the woods. Oh, no. She actually hears this woman say her name. But then Nick comes out and Nick finds her alone and she stops hearing the whispers. He runs straight to her and is like, so you ran off. What's up with that? They sit on a log and chat for a bit to iron out the drama from Nick and Emma making out, and they get awkward, but if you play your cards right, they can kiss right here. And I made them kiss. 
Good. Why wouldn't you let them kiss and have Nick kiss two babes in the same hour? Damn right. What a stud. Get it, Nick. Their romantic forest kiss is cut a bit short, though, when they hear growling from the woods. Nick and Abby get up and look around. Abby's like, maybe it's another boar, another pig you can, like, save me from. (laughs) I can leap into your arms, maybe. We can kiss a little harder out of fear. She's like, maybe it's a bear. Nick is like, no, no, this isn't a boar. This isn't a bear. And then Nick catches a glimpse of what it is. This huge creature jumps on Nick and starts slicing at him. Slicing. These creatures are huge and long and tall and hairless and very animalistic. We don't know what we're looking at yet, though. The creature is tearing Nick up and a shot rings out and it backs off of him. Abby runs over to Nick as the creature jumps off and gets back into the woods to help. And as we look down, Nick is covered in blood and is torn the fuck up. Holy shit. Well, we know the shotgun scares away the bears. Yeah, that's why there's no bears, right? Yeah. More shots ring out and Abby runs from the scene deeper into the woods, unsure of what just attacked them and knowing Nick is in real danger, but she needs help. Damn. And like, do they have reception on their cell phones? Not. No one does. Oh, they're, they're fuck. They're so deep in the woods. They use their phones mostly as flashlights. So not even 911? No. On the other side of the Broken Hearts Club, Jacob is sitting on a dock of the camp crying and throwing rocks into the lake. And like, openly sobbing. Just sobbing? <laughs> Emma walks up to him knowing that he's a wreck. She sits by him at the edge of the dock and tries to remind him that their whole thing was just a summer fling. But he can't hide how he feels. He's, again, weeping. Uh, it's like grease all over again. <laughs> He flips quick to being sad to being like, I can't believe you Frenched him in front of me. And Emma's like, who says Frenched? What is wrong with you? Actually said Frenched. Jesus. She tells him to get over it and lighten up, but he's so distraught. He's, it's just so, it's so high school. To pivot and selfishly to have some fun so she's not standing next to a man who's just sobbing. Mm-hmm. Emma's like, you know what? Fuck it. We're still here. It's still summer. Let's have some fun and get in the lake. Jacob's like, okay, fine, I'll get in the water with you. You're beautiful and I love you. (laughs) There was no swimming in the lake allowed because of Mr. H's rules. So this is like extra rebellious. Yeah, it's probably full of leeches. (laughs) Now there's a little like boathouse, lake house thing right behind the dock. So she's like, you go get some towels. I'll get ready for here. Jacob pokes around in the lake house thing and he sees a newspaper article about some missing hikers from a few months ago in the area. Weird. There's two of them. We found two backpacks. That's interesting. But it's also not the other two camp counselors that never made it. Correct. This is a separate two hikers. Thank you for calling that out. Too many missing people. Too many missing pairs. Yeah. This is not where you go on a date. And we're about to go on one. Yes. There's no towels to be found, which annoys Emma, who's already in her underwear. Jacob's like, if there's no towels, can we just shake it out doggy style? Doggy. That's not doggy style. (laughs) He's not good at stuff, Tom. That's not what doggy style is. No wonder she broke up with you. <laughs> he thinks doggy style is just shaking really hard. <laughs> She's like, oh, we are not doing this. I'm like, this isn't fun at all. <laughs> Jacob gets down his underwear to join Emma in the lake for a quick swim for old time's sake. He cannonballs into the water, which is very cold, and he and Emma get to splashing each other. Just, you know, horny youth things. Splashing flirting. Yeah, splashy splash flirting. Jacob hops out of the lake on the dock for a bit and then realizes, fuck, he dropped the rotor arm in the splashy splashes. Jesus Christ. 
Emma looks around and doesn't see him because he like swam over a little bit. Figures he left and she's like, "Ugh, what a dick. I'm going to go to the island and have some fun. Jacob, meanwhile, is like, shit, shit, shit. I have to go get the rotor arm. So he dives into the lake after it. Like he's underwater. That's why Emma can't see him. But she's like, what the fuck? All right, bye. And how far out is the island? You can swim to it. It's kind of a pain in the ass. It's far enough that you do have to like swim or grab a boat. And it's short enough that you can take a zip line from the island back to shore. A zip line. So I want to say maybe like 50 feet. Okay. 60 feet. It's going to be an annoying swim. It's an annoying swim for sure. Like you might be a little winded when you get there, but it's not unreasonable. Okay. So Jacob dives down in the water and down under the water, he sees all these chains and wires that are like just kind of rooted in the lake coming up, which is crazy. And like, I guess that's why they didn't want swimming there because we'll get caught up. Yeah. But as he dives down deeper, he sees a bloated corpse tied up at all the chains and wires. Jesus Christ. No wonder there's no swimming here. He's like, holy shit, because he's been splashing in this lake all summer, and now it's like corpse water? Yeah. Is this the missing hiker, maybe? I don't know who the fuck this is. Anyway, he misses the rotor arm, but is like, holy shit, I just saw a dead body. Like, I need to process that more than anything. Yeah. He gets out of the water, and he's like, where the fuck did Emma go? God damn it. You disappeared first, dick. Back at the campsite, like, where everyone is having their bonfire, Dylan is like, Well, Caitlin, you really fucked everything up for everyone. (laughs) Caitlin is like, yeah, but aren't they all paired off and talking right now? Did I fix it? She's like, am I Cupid? Now it's just Dylan, Caitlin, and Ryan. And they're like, well, we can just keep playing the three of us. Ryan goes to ask Dylan truth or dare, but they start hearing Abby screaming. And they're like, wait, hold up. No, put our horniness aside for a second. She's just seeing a penis for her first time. (laughs) They don't think that, though. (laughs) Ryan and Caitlin run after the stream while Dylan stands by the fire just in case, you know, she comes back. They run into Abby, who's screaming and running and has splashes of blood all over her. Oh, shit. Caitlin hands Ryan the gun that she won in the peanut butter pop pop shoot off and tells him (laughs) to go after Nick. Caitlin goes to Abby to bring her back to the campfire to calm her down. because She's fucking frantic. Ryan slings the shotgun over his back and runs in the direction where Nick could be. He sprints through the woods, and then Ryan comes up on a bloodied and battered Nick, who is being picked up by his neck and dragged off by Bobby Hackett. Oh, shit. They don't know Bobby. Bobby is big and quiet and is also covered in blood. Is that the one Ethan Suplee is playing? Yes. Okay. So this is a big boy. And even though Ryan is pretty close with Chris Hackett, he's like, I don't know who the fuck this man is. Nick can barely speak or open his eyes and doesn't even realize what's happening or that Ryan is there. Ryan points his gun at Bobby to warn him, but Bobby doesn't give a fuck. He's like, I'm not bothered by you. Yeah. Nick kind of looks around and realizes what's happening enough for a second and bites Bobby on the finger. Bobby flinches and then without saying a word, picks up his pistol and shoots off the rest of the finger that Nick had bitten. Oh, Jesus, this dude's hardcore. Bobby lets go of Nick and storms back off into the dark of the woods. We don't see him again. (laughs) I hope not. Nick gets on his feet and can barely put a sentence together. Ryan puts his arm around Nick and takes him back to the bonfire. On the other side of the campsite, an upset Jacob is running through the woods. He's still in his underwear after taking that lake dip and is out of breath from sprinting. He just saw a body. He's alone. He's stressed the fuck out. As anybody would be. From behind, he hears the sounds of an animal squealing and realizes he's not as alone as he thought he was. There's a mama pig. 
<laughs> it's the daddy porker. Yeah. <laughs> he quietly starts to check his perimeter and accidentally walks into a trap. Now, this is one of those traps where you put your foot down and a rope shoots you up into a tree and you're hanging upside down. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, We saw this in The Last of Us. We saw this in Grand Theft Auto V. We've seen this in Looney Tunes. Yes, the Looney Tunes trap. Yeah. <laughs> From the darkness, Bobby Hackett reappears. Sorry, I lied. And starts to inspect Jacob. Bobby wicks out a big knife and threateningly cuts Jacob down. Oh. Jacob asks, what's happening? And Bobby says, be quiet. And then gets out a vial of blood and pours it all over Jacob, including down his throat. Down his throat? He tells Jacob it's for his own good. Bobby gets some kind of ping on his walkie-talkie and then disappears back into the woods. Jacob gets up, covered in blood, still in his underwear, and sprints away into the night. Oh, what is Bobby up to? I don't know, but it's time to check out our fortune teller. Okay. (laughs) After this, it is chapter four. Don't panic. Back at the bonfire, Abby is frantically telling Caitlin what happened and what she saw happen to Nick. Caitlin picks up Abby's sketch pad and asks her to draw what attacked them. She knows Abby is so in tune with her art, she might actually be able to get a good idea of what happened that way. Which is actually really clever. Caitlin's very emotionally intelligent, more so than anyone else in this game. Yeah, clearly. Nick starts to tell the group that there is this big guy there who we know is Bobby Hackett. And there's also some kind of animal and Dylan is like, for real, what kind of animal could have done this? Was it a, was it like a bear? Ryan is like, it's absolutely not a bear. If a bear got on top of him and attacked him, it would have crushed him. Bears are hundreds of pounds. Like, they're yeah. huge. Dylan is looking at Nick and finds this huge gash in Nick's leg that looks black. Like, black. Like, oh. the guts inside of it are black, not just his skin. Like ink? Like the ink bendy? Like the ink and Dylan is like, that is fucking infected. We need to, we should, we should take it out. We should amputate it before the infection spreads. Ryan and Nick do not like this idea. Yeah, I don't see why they would. Yeah, they don't amputate it. But Dylan is like, my first thought is amputation. And yeah. I think that's a solid plan. And everyone goes, that's a terrible plan. None of us know how to fucking properly do that, dude. They're, the boys are trying to take care of each other. Abby is over here and she is just distraught. And she's like, I'm so sorry. I can't even remember what I saw. But then she shows this horrifying shadow figure to Caitlin, which just looks like a creepy child drawing in like a psychology room, you know? Right. Then a rustling starts in the woods just right behind them. The group notices and they all look over and Ryan still has his gun. So they're like, okay, Ryan, you go first. (laughs) But don't worry. The only thing to come out of the woods is Jacob. A mostly naked, covered in blood Jacob comes bumbling out of the forest mostly naked he sees nick and is like holy shit what the fuck caitlin comes up and is like abby and nick were attacked in the woods are you okay jacob is like i'm fine do you guys have any clothes i am in my underwear and blood and caitlin's like all the clothes are in the minivan so jacob is just stuck in his underwear for the entire game (laughs) and that is a spoiler and i really enjoy the fact that this entire game this poor boy is in his underwear and like no shoes Running around the forest barefoot. So he is going almost full diehard. Yeah. <laughs> Worse than diehard. He's just yeah. in his underwear. And, you know, you asked, until Dawn, I think, is hornier because they're hooking up and taking their clothes off. Yeah. Jacob just went swimming. And he's <laughs> he's just, you know, it's not a sexual nudity. It's just a bummer nudity. Right. Bummer nudity was my nickname in college. 
Ryan asks where Emma is since they, he assumed that they went together. And he says, I think she's on the island from their night swim. Caitlin is like, are you sure she's on the island? Because I think I saw something there earlier before the fucking bonfire. That's probably nothing. She's probably alone. Everything's probably fine. Oh, no. Caitlin's like, hey, so you're covered in blood, Jacob. What's going on? And Jacob goes, oh, no, no, it's not mine. <laughs> it's from this strange man who had a bottle of it. It's a whole thing. And then he remembers he saw a dead body in the lake not that long ago. And everyone is like, tonight is bad. Tonight well, is real bad. His ADD is just firing off because he's just, <laughs> how does anybody take anything seriously? He said, like, I'm naked. A man covered me in blood. Don't worry about it. Also, I saw a dead body. Yeah. <laughs> All in that ridiculous Boston accent. <laughs> <laughs> All in that accent while his like balls are slipping out of his shorts and shit, you know? <laughs> we don't see that, but in the real life version, I imagine that happens. Yeah. Jacob tries to grab Ryan's gun and he's like, I'm gonna go to the island and save Emma. I need this. Ryan is like, oh, absolutely fucking not. We have a hurt friend and we need to get him to the lodge. He can't walk. There's five of us. We have women. Like, oh, yeah. He doesn't say women, but that's the implication of right. like, dude, don't take the gun away from the group. They fight a little bit, and then Caitlin tells them to shut the fuck up. The group is keeping the gun. Like, if the trolley problem is happening, we're going to at least protect the larger group. I guess that's where she stands on that. Right, because she's part of the larger group. Yeah. Caitlin tells Jacob to shut the fuck up. If Emma's on the island, she's fine because the animal's not on the island. And an animal reasonably couldn't swim there, like we said, if it's that long where it's Kind of annoying for a person to swim. Right. Animal's definitely not getting over there. Jacob throws a fit and goes, well, I'm going to the fucking island. And they're like, have fun, dude. I can see your nipples. <laughs> It'll probably wash off some of the fucking blood if you get there. Using the wheelbarrow or barrow that Jacob used to drop off the fruit and beer to the party, the group puts Nick in the same wheelbarrow and takes him back to the lodge for safety, which I think is very clever. Yeah. I don't want to carry him. Now back on the island... Emma's there wandering around alone and she's vlogging herself talking about her summer and how she's feeling all alone tonight. She's also still in her bra and underwear from her night swim. So like, good for you, bitch. I did see this scene over your shoulder and it was so damn ridiculous. <laughs> Why? Like, I was just like, there wouldn't be enough money in the world to get me to explore this island fully clothed. Yeah, fair enough. Especially at night. And she was like stoked willingly out there in her underwear. Just like, hi guys. So I'm wandering through this dark forbidden forest. Uh, it's a full moon out. It's really scary. I hear all sorts of weird critters out in the distance. Let's go explore some more. And then she intercuts with like, so Jacob and I broke up because like we're going to different colleges. And I think he wants to do long distance, but I just don't think that's feasible because I'm hot. So her vlogging is therapy. Yeah. <laughs> She just unloads on people just to like in her vlogs and TikToks and shit like that. And she's like, you know what? Actually, Jacob's kind of fucking annoying. He cried a lot tonight. And like, I just want to be rid of all this. I want to enjoy my life. I want to go up to that tree house. I'm going to film some really sick lake footage for you guys. And it's going to be fun. So she goes up to the tree house, which is that same house that Caitlin saw earlier with a light on. Yeah. And in the tree house, she finds a set of car keys marked as police car keys. Which is weird. Why would a cop be on a treehouse on the island? Or why would his keys be here? But also, is there a car nearby? No. Okay, then. There are no vehicles on the island because it's a fucking island. That's true. Hmm. Interesting. Anyway, 
Inside the treehouse, she vlogs herself looking around and then notices there's a couple bags here that she doesn't recognize, which is weird. And then there's also some weird noises going on above the treehouse. Crazy. But Emma's like, I think this is a good opportunity to explore. Because <laughs> as beautiful as she is, she is equally fearless or dumb, whatever coin you want to land on there. Yeah, it's a really fine line with that one. She goes through the bags and finds some clothes to finally put on after trudging through the woods all night in her underwear. And she also finds a taser, which is very fun. I like a good taser in a video game. Yeah. She then figures there's something upstairs in the treehouse behind the trap attic door. It keeps making noises. She's like, eh, let's see what's up there. Could be creepy. She vlogs herself going up to the trap door. And when she lets the door down, one of the same creatures that attacked Nick and Abby tumbles out of it. Oh, shit. Emma's vlogging this, <laughs> freaks out, and then tases the creature and then takes a photo of him on her phone to be like, let me figure out what this shit is before running away and jumping on the zip line to escape. Hold up, for the Insta. Yeah, <laughs> fully. She's like, ah, zap, zap, zap. Does she take a Snop. selfie with the creature with like peace sign up like it's a fucking Spider-Man camera? <laughs> it is not a selfie. It's just a Yui. She did, she did the back-facing camera where there's no front-facing anything. She had the flash on, like... Yeah. <laughs> this turned into a found footage horror real fast. But like, bless the influencer for having the wherewithal to be like, do it for the gram. Yeah. <laughs> content, baby, content. So she takes a zip line down off the treehouse, back down to like the floor of the island. Once she lands, she sprints, but she's met with the same creature caught up and now hunting her. She dashes through the island a bit, but ends up back in the treehouse and hauls ass up to the attic through the trap door to get away from the creature. She gets up, she closes the door, she locks it shut, and she's like, well, this is my life now. <laughs> cool. Back at the lodge, the whole group has made it out, and they have a bleeding and bloodied Nick just, like, kind of dumped on the ground because he can't move, and they just hauled him through the fucking forest. Yeah. Abby's next to him, and she's like, are you in pain? And he's like, I'm honestly just crazy hungry. Abby's like, okay, okay, I'll, I'll figure something out. Let me get you inside. We'll get you by the fire and we'll rest a little bit, okay? Ryan gives Caitlin the keys to the nurse's station and tells Dylan he needs his help making an emergency call to get, you know, anyone in because he thinks there's a landline in Mr. H's office. Okay. In the office, Ryan pushes Dylan to make the call for help on the landline and then asks who they should call. Dylan says, let's call 911. I'm sorry, what? This confuses and angers Ryan. Me too. <laughs> Ryan's like, first of all, no one says that, so we're just going to fucking move on. 911? <laughs> Dylan's a weirdo and I love him. That was the call sign for one of the most popular radio stations in San Diego. Oh, 911? But 911 for 911? I said 911 earlier. <laughs> but it was 911 for Dylan. It's okay. Ryan is equally as angry as you are. He's like, no one says that, you fucking weirdo. How dumb is Dylan? <gasps> yes. Okay. Ryan's like, so what do I say? Hi, 911. My friend got attacked by a bear or maybe not a bear. And we don't know how smart they are and we need backup. And Dylan's <laughs> like, Dylan says, yeah, that's good. That We should open with that. That's a good one. Bear attack. Yeah. Lead with bear attack. Ryan picks up the phone. Here's 911. What's your... And then the line cuts out. Oh, God damn it. The phone is dead now, just as they try to call 911 or 911, whatever. I feel like that should be enough to make 911 be like, well, we should go check that out. 
That is a thing. Like, I think if you call and hang up, they trace it and they'll they'll send an officer out usually. Yeah, just in case. I've experienced that as a child. Oh. <laughs> I think we all have. Most of us have. I think we at least learn it in school. I had a friend. Or should. I had a friend whose phone number started with 9-1 and then had a couple other numbers and I've accidentally hit it and been like, oh, ah, no. shit. He's been like, are you good? I'm like, nah, I accidentally called the cops. I was just trying to call to see if you wanted to smoke. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, ah, it happens. I'm like, did they want to? I'm like, nah. Not chill. No, they asked where we're going to be, though. Yeah, <laughs> they asked where it came from. Anyway, Dylan and Ryan are like, well, the phones are down. That sucks. But Dylan mentions the radio huck from the PA announcements that he used to do has some equipment, and maybe they could get out some sort of radio station, like, signal out to, like, truckers and shit like that. Sure. Ryan's like, okay, that's great. Hey, put down the gun. And we see that Dylan took the opportunity to grab the gun off of Mr. H's wall now that they could actually use it. (laughs) Dylan promises to put it back when they're safe. And Ryan is like, okay, considering the circumstances, please just be safe. Okay. Just don't point it at anybody. As they turn to head out of the office, the power to the whole lodge cuts out. Oh, no. Ryan says, maybe it's a bear. Dylan is like, why do we blame everything on the bears? Like, (laughs) and now what if the bear is like waiting for us in the hallway? It's like a Jurassic Park bear. Yeah. (laughs) Clever bear. Yeah. (laughs) Ryan is like, okay, fair. I got you. Let's get strapped and ready and no worries. There's no bear here. So they're fine for now. Dylan and Ryan talk quickly about giving a gun to Caitlin so she's protected back there, which is a good idea for each group to have a gun. So Caitlin's going to stay at the lodge with Abby and Nick, who are hurt, and she'll have a gun, and then Ryan and Dylan will have another gun, and they'll go to the radio hut. That's smart. Everyone's covered. Ryan tells Dylan if he's nice, he'll let him hold it. (laughs) Dylan says, don't write a check that your ass can't cash. Ryan looks at him and says, his ass has quite the bank account. Oh, damn. So he's starting to let his guard down and be a little fun, which I love. Okay, he's stealing some lines from some podcasters. And that's flirty. Yeah. That's straight up flirting. This moment of romance is cut short by Caitlin, who's like, hey, guys, what's going on over here? (laughs) So Ryan and Dylan head off to the radio tower, and Ryan has the gun. And then Caitlin has Dylan's gun from Mr. H's office back at the lodge. Back on the island, Emma is like, holy shit, I'm not alone. That sucks. And then she spies one of the longer zip lines that actually goes off of the island back to the main shore. Got it. It's just really far away. And the actual thing that you hold is kind of in the middle of the line. So she has to crank the zip line arm back to her on the island. And okay. this crank is loud as fuck. So she's got to do it quick. You can either go quick and it'll bring the creature over very fast because they can hear things very quickly. Or if you go slow, it makes less noise, but it takes longer, and it's very, very scary. Oh, that is stressful. I love that they give you a choice, though. Yeah. And I started off, I was like, slow, slow, fast, fast, I think. But I still made it off the island in my run. I did not kill Emma here. Not here. It's very easy to kill Emma here, though. Is this one of her 10 death spots? One of her many deaths. Oh, yeah. Either way, the creature finds her and runs the fuck up on her, but Emma makes it just in the nick of time across the lake and back to the main shore from the zip line. Hell yeah. Leaving that creature back on the island. Hell yeah, Emma. Fuck you, creature. Her taser is toast because she did land in the water just to be like, I need to get the fuck away. But you know what? She made use of it. She got her selfie. Her phone, for some reason, is fine. Let's go. <laughs> By now, when we see our tarot card reader, 
she's getting less friendly and is a little more annoyed. And like, if you don't bring her tarot cards, she'll be like, you didn't find my fucking cards. And you're like, I'm sorry, lady. What the fuck? What was I supposed to do? I was busy being chased. (laughs) Chapter five, white noise. At the lodge, Abby is bringing Nick something to drink. She apologizes that there's no food left after camp and she's frazzled, but she's playing nurse really well. Nick is soft-spoken as he lays down and asks how she's doing. Abby is like, I'm just okay if you're okay. Are you you okay? Nick says, it's okay. (laughs) So many okays. Just children. This is how children flirt and I hate it. Also, the writing has just gone downhill since Until Dawn. I think this is funnier than Until Dawn. It's funnier, but man, the dialogue is a little weak. It was just a prank, Han. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. That's my favorite Until Dawn line. I think it's kind of a meme, but like, it's a little ridiculous. Caitlin comes back around and lets Abby and Nick know that Dylan and Ryan are off to the radio hut to try and get a signal for help. She asks how Nick's doing, who says he's feeling like a little bit better, just like catching his breath and resting. They're concerned that the lights went out and they don't know why, but like, that's... It's not our problem right now. That's like the least of our problems right now. If they're all together, they at least feel a little safe, you know? Yeah. They then hear heavy footsteps upstairs in the lodge. So they know that they're together, but they're not alone. Cool. Nobody's ever fucking alone in this game. You can't say you're alone because that will summon someone. Right. (laughs) Caitlin's like, you guys stay here. I'm going to go investigate. Nick and Abby are together in the nurse's lodge, which is like kind of under the main part of the lodge. So they're reasonably secured. And Caitlin's like, I got this. I've got the gun. I'm in charge. Type A, bitch. But they should be sticking together if one of them has the gun. That's my concern. Oh, yeah, that's valid as fuck. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Caitlin creeps up the stairs in this pitch dark lodge with the gun from Dylan and Ryan. She cocks the shotgun and gets it ready for whatever she's about to run into. Caitlin silently navigates through the main lodge, through the cafeteria, and finally up the stairs towards this, like, extended hallway area. As she comes up on a landing, she sees a figure come into the light shining through the windows. Here's Bobby. Oh. Bobby shines a flashlight down the landing, but Caitlin hides just in time. Not seeing anyone, Bobby's like, all right, and then heads away. Caitlin starts to follow him because she can't just let something happen. She has to know what's going on at all times. Yeah. She follows Bobby as he hides in a room to hit his walkie-talkie. He says he can't find them. And on the other line, a voice, who we know is Jedediah, says, find them and blood them. Blood them. Blood them. Oh. And as a reminder, he's the one that blooded Jacob, so. Right. We know it's just pouring blood down and around, which sucks, but still. The phrasing. Yeah. Caitlin doesn't know that. She's like, he wants to blood me. Ugh. As he comes out of the conversation on his walkie-talkie, Caitlin starts to run and hide from Bobby because she's like, I don't want to get blooded. Are you fucking kidding me? Right. This whole thing is like reminding me of Little Nightmares 2 with a hunter. <laughs> he's literally the hunter, too. Yeah. Bobby's on to someone being nearby and like in his line of vision, but just kind of ducking away. So he's like, all right, I'm not alone. She's got to be somewhere nearby. But Caitlin is really stealthy and she like sneaks around the lodge, hiding from him in shadows and corners until she doesn't. (laughs) Caitlin gets spotted and Bobby comes up so close to her and he grabs her gun. Caitlin's like, oh, fuck. And then just darts off, hauling ass away from Bobby. 
Yeah, get as far away as fast as you possibly can. Back in the nurse's station, Nick is like, so this summer was like totally cool, but now this is like the last time we'll see each other. Uh. Abby's like, yeah, okay, what are you asking for? What is this conversation? And Nick is like, ah, that wasn't very smooth, was it? (laughs) (laughs) He's like bleeding out. And like Abby is too worried to be horny. And Nick is like, man, everything is feeling weird. I don't know what's going on, but it all just feels like crazy right now, right? And then he starts to get aggressive with Abby. He's like kind of poking her and asking if, hey, was more going to happen or are you just being a prude? Ooh. Abby is, goes, I'm sorry, what did you just say to me? Anyway, what, what are you, that was all a million years ago. We kissed like two hours ago and that was a lifetime ago, man. You almost died. Like, yeah. who gives a shit? And then he starts making her really uncomfortable and throwing this like, pity party because he's hurt and he couldn't smash her on the last night they were there oh save it you fucking incel this creepy conversation is cut short because like they start hearing these weird noises and they're like oh that's crazy and then caitlin like runs into the nurse's office she's like all right we gotta do something i'm frantic let's fucking go nick can you walk nick is able to stand up enough and move a little bit better now that he's caught his breath so the three of them, Caitlin, Abby, and Nick, all escape out of the lodge and go off into the night to get the fuck away from Bobby. They should have all just stayed in the goddamn lounge. As soon as they heard footsteps and they knew it wasn't Dylan or Ryan, they should have just left. Yep. And been like, let's catch up to Dylan and Ryan. Because <laughs> two guns is more than one guns. Now, speaking of Dylan and Ryan, they're still on their way to the radio hut through the woods. Dylan is like, so apparently kids used to bring CD players to camp. Like, isn't that vintage and crazy? Oh, my God. No way. Dylan also reveals that he, like, loves science and he wants to study quantum physics. Ryan is like, are you fucking serious? I thought you were dumb. And I thought all you cared about was, like, music and, like, you weren't that deep. And Dylan is like, well, when I got to camp, I was anxious and decided to be like fun and silly and playful so people would like me. And Aww. I'm actually just really into science and STEM and I got nervous, so I kind of hid behind being the jokester. I totally understand that. Really? Yeah, I wasn't into STEM and stuff like that, but you know, I was in a musical theater in Indiana. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've always just been very loud about things that I like, so I can't relate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just learned to be quiet about certain things for a while. I can't. Which is why I appreciate being with you. Because <laughs> I'll loudly just be like, I like this or I hate this. Yeah, and I'm allowed to be the same. Yeah, of course. Ryan is like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, I'm not that deep. Uh, <laughs> inside the radio hut, Ryan is like, well, this place is fucking disgusting. Holy shit. <laughs> Dylan goes a little sensitive because he's like, I actually cleaned this place up. It was way worse when I got here. This radio hut was basically abandoned. Dylan sets up the radio and starts rambling into the radio that, hey, hello, um, we need help. There was a horrible accident and stuff is bad. There's a swarm of bears and they're everywhere. Also, there's like hunters shooting at the bears and also the counselors we have. Someone is hurt from the vicious bears. SOS, um, save our ship. Come on down and help us. Everybody's just blaming it on the bears. Ryan says, did you say swarm of bears? <laughs> swarm of bears. Dylan says, yeah. Ryan corrects him and says, heard of bears. Dylan says, yeah, I've heard of bears. (laughs) Ryan drops it. 
this is the cast's favorite moment of the game because it's so fucking funny to all of them. Oh my god, that is a truly dumb person <laughs> moment, and I love it. Dylan just saying, yeah, I've heard of bears, you <laughs> idiot. <laughs> See, I genuinely think this is a lot funnier than Until Dawn. Until Dawn doesn't have these comedic moments that are written as comedic moments. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but these aren't comedies. These are horror movies. Yeah, but we get into this like campier thriller era where you can be funny and you can be silly and you can make dumb puns and things and it still works for who these people are, you know? That's true. I mean, a lot of the really good horror movies also have some great comedy. Oh, absolutely. On the radio, they hear someone talking about them and they're like, hell yeah, okay, wait, we got a signal. And they hear a male voice say, Two in the radio hut, some in the lodge. And Ryan goes, oh, fuck. We're two in the radio hut. Dylan is like, ah, shit. We just told them where we are on the radio. God damn it. (laughs) They know, the hunters know where they are now. Cool, cool, cool. Ryan is like, okay, let's stay calm. Let's regroup with Caitlin. Because again, two guns is better than one gun. And then we'll be with the group and we'll get back to it and we'll figure it out together. Okay. As Dylan opens the door to the hut, he's met with one of those creatures staring at him. And he just slams the door and goes, what the fuck was that? So at this point, you're getting pretty clear visions of the creatures. This one's very fast. Okay. Ryan is like, oh, I got no idea what the fuck that is. That's not a bear. And they're like, cool. There's a creature out there. It's probably the same thing that tried to kill Nick, and it's coming for us. Still going to call it a bear later, probably. As it jumps on the roof of the radio hut, Dylan says, is it a bear? (laughs) See? The boys stay still and quiet, hoping it'll go away. But outside the window, they see Caitlin, Nick, and Abby coming towards them. And they're like, fuck, we have to warn them. It's going to see all three of them. Nick's already hurt. And then it's like the two girls to carry him were fucked. Using the PA system in the hut, they tell Caitlin and the rest to go hide in one of the cabins that are just kind of right there. There's an animal there, and it's going to go towards them. Hmm. Because Abby and Emma broke down the door to the cabin earlier, Caitlin is easily able to bring the group into a cabin for shelter. Because remember, they're all locked because it's the end of summer. Right. So one of our decisions helped us later. Nice. Dylan figures if it's an animal, they can blast some loud-as-fuck feedback on the loop to scare off the animal and make it go away. Oh, like that high-pitched ringing sound? Yeah, genius. Good for you, Dylan. There's the scientist. There's our stem boy, right? Yeah, because they can hear at a higher pitch, too, so that's even louder. Yeah. Ryan's like, okay, dude, you got this. Do what you need to do. I'll cover you. Dylan tries and realizes the animal pulled the wire up through the ceiling, and he has to go fix it. He's like, god damn it. He fucked up the wire. I'm on it. Dylan reaches up to grab the wire to fix it, but the creature reaches through and pulls him up through the ceiling by his hand to the roof. Oh, no. Dylan screams and screams and kicks and kicks and is dropped, and his whole hand is mangled by the creature. Oh, shit. Dylan is screaming, and he's like, it's infected. Fuck, it's infected. You have to cut it off. And makes Ryan grab a chainsaw off the wall to cut his hand off before the infection spreads. Chainsaw! The chainsaw has the word groovy on the side. And infections and what the fuck? If you're not familiar with the Evil Dead, Ash, Bruce Campbell's character, has a chainsaw for a hand. And he says groovy a lot. So having a chainsaw say groovy while you're cutting a hand off, like it's a perfect Raimi moment. This game is really heavy handed with the Raimi moments. 
The fact that there's a Raimi in it exactly, and through it. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. He's not even in this scene. <laughs> so Dylan's missing a hand now, and he lays on the ground bleeding, and he has to kind of lay there holding his his stub. His and, stump, oh. And instruct Ryan on how to grab the wire and fix the wire and do the PA feedback loop. This works instantly, and the creature hears the noise and starts running off into the night through the woods. Dylan is like, okay, we blew out the speaker, but it worked. We're safe for now. Ryan is impressed and is like, hey, good job. We did it. This is Ted Raimi's favorite scene in the game. He's like, I fucking love when the kid gets his can cut off and all this <laughs> shit. Because it's a Raimi fucking moment. Like, yeah. Good for you, honey. It's I'm so shocked that a Raimi loved this scene the most. <laughs> Dylan lays on the ground and is relieved at work and then goes, oh, fuck, my hand. He looks at Ryan and says, why did you do that? <laughs> you said to. Ryan says, you told me to. Yeah. And Dylan says, that was a bad idea. <laughs> Why'd you listen to me? I'm an idiot. Caitlin comes out of the cabins to see Dylan and Ryan and is like, oh, good. The creature's gone. We lost it. Okay. And then followed by Abby and Nick, the five counselors are reunited. They kind of catch their breath. They're like, holy shit. Caitlin looks up and goes, hey, Dylan, what what happened to you? Dylan's like, well, it, it doesn't hurt, but I'm missing a hand now. <laughs> I was going to say, you lost some weight. Caitlin's like, what happened? But then they hear another shotgun blast ring out. Oh, shit. Then, following those shots, we see Laura, the counselor from the beginning. What the fuck that went missing with Max? She has an eye patch over one eye and is running through the camp with a gun. What the fuck? So she is like this Mad Max character. It's fully Mad Max, like big, mean, final girl energy. Holy shit. What has she been through? The counselors see her, but they're like, none of them have met her. They don't know who the fuck this girl right. is. But they're like, we should. Is she OK? Should we follow her? And they follow her for a bit towards the pool. And as they get by the pool, they see a huge gathering of blood and a body floating. Laura shot someone or something, and someone is floating dead in the pool now. Damn. Abby sees this and gasps and goes right into Nick's arms, terrified. From here, when you see the tarot card reader, she says, that's one less vermin in the world. Oh, fuck. What is happening? Chapter six, Prayers by Night. Oh, shit. Deep in the woods, still in his underwear, covered in blood, Jacob is screaming out for Emma. He's stumbling through the woods and making lots of noise, so this is going to go really well for fucking everyone involved. <laughs> deeper and deeper in the woods, Jacob starts hearing weird voices whispering between the trees. It sounds like a woman's voice, which is super weird. He wanders around and stumbles directly into Emma, who screams in his face, but like, mission accomplished, he found her. Hell yeah. Yeah, and they're both still in their underwear, so they're not shocked by this fact. Emma found clothes on the island, so she's covered up. Oh. Jacob's still blood and... Butts. He just looks worse than ever. Yeah. <laughs> Emma shoves him and is like, fuck you. You left me back there at the lake all alone. Like, what's going on? Jacob is like, holy shit. Can I tell you? Nick and Abby got attacked by a fucking bear. And she goes, <laughs> fucking bear. It's still the bears. Emma's like, yeah, me too. But it was like also not a bear. It was out of a horror movie. Also, why are you covered in blood? Jacob goes, oh, my God, it's not my blood. <laughs> There's these hunters. I don't know what's going on. 
They bicker a little bit because holy shit, they're in a horror game. But then Emmett tells him to shut up because she hears growling. It's a bear. <laughs> Bears are getting such a bad rep they in this really game. They really are. They turn for a second, then start running into the woods. Jacob is a, just a bit ahead of Emma, and as they dash through the woods, this creature drops down in front of them. Is it a bear? It's definitely not a bear. <laughs> this one is tall and dark, and we actually get a good sight of it now, and we see that its eyes are glowing red. Ooh. They're, they're on this wooden walkway kind of through the forest, and Emma falls off of it, like, into the deep forest as Jacob yells, I'm sorry, and they keep running. Oh, God. They're immediately separated right after confirming they're alive. Yeah. Jacob dashes into the woods alone and ends up with his foot in a bear trap. Good. He just took off after she fell. Right. Which is also funny because until dawn, there is a bear trap sequence that you go through with a very similar male jock character. That's true. Which I, I liked of like, if you're going to be like a tall, hot white guy in a super massive game, a bear trap will inevitably hurt you at some point. Bear traps are like completely underused in media, in my opinion. I think they're fucking horrifying. Yeah, like, exactly. It's an immediate fucking dismemberment. Should be anyway. It should be. It's not here though. Because he's like, ah, fuck. But then he gets his foot free and he's like, I'm in a lot of pain. And now there is some of my blood mixing with the mystery blood. This isn't good. Yeah. Fuck. Shit. Now from the shadows as Jacob wails in pain. Jedediah, the old Hackett, comes out and hits him with the butt of his rifle. These Hackett's keep hitting. They need to start explaining. Because, like, what does blood them mean in larger context, sir? Right, and I have to be real. While they keep knocking people unconscious, their intentions outside of that don't seem necessarily that violent. <laughs> they could be a lot worse, certainly. Yeah, they haven't been, like, shooting at them yet. Back at the cabins, the five counselors see the body of a teen girl floating in the water of the pool. Ugh. It's, it's so scary. Another one bites the dust. Oh, my God. So Ryan's like, hey, guys, I don't know who the fuck that bitch with the eye patch is, but the girl floating in the pool is Kaylee, Mr. Hackett's daughter. Oh, no. And again, Ryan is really close to them. You can even find pictures of Ryan with the Hackett kids, like, hanging out as kids and stuff. They, they've known each other for a long time. This is really hard for Ryan. Well, shit. At least we have a historian on the Hackett family. But just the Chris Hackett. He doesn't know Bobby. He doesn't know Jedediah. Like, That's true. We don't know the rest of those motherfuckers. Nick is holding Abby closely. And as he is, because Abby's like, I'm seeing a dead body. I'm having a fucking meltdown. Nick is like, oh, you smell so good. I just want to taste you. What the fuck? Caitlin clocks this and is like, hey, Nick, are you good? Nick tells her just to fuck off and then starts aggressively holding and like smelling Abby. Abby gets really uncomfortable and she's like, no, no, wait, get off me. He doesn't. And she pushes him and he falls into the pool. Is he on steroids? Is he on a roid rage? <laughs> kind of. Yeah. Nick hits the water and starts screaming and struggling. And Ryan is like, I'm sorry. What the fuck is happening? I know he can swim. <laughs> He's like, this is a camp counselor. That was like on the application. Yeah. Caitlin pulls him out of the pool and Nick convulses for a minute on the ground. Abby is like, oh my God, what did I do? What I just, I just didn't want him to touch me like that. What the fuck? Abby reaches over and touches Nick and she's like, oh my God, he's so cold. Something's wrong. Like he must be sick. Ryan instructs them to get in the pool house to warm him up, which is just right next to it. It's just, it's a super weird sequence. 
In the pool house, Nick is laying on some towels by a heat lamp to warm up. Abby sits by him to comfort him and, like, just keep an eye on him. On the other side of the room, Caitlin is checking out Dylan's stump and tells him that he needs actual medical attention, but she's able to give him some painkillers that she grabbed at the nurse's station. That is some expert medical attention right there. Yeah. (laughs) You need to see a doctor for your missing hand. Oh, no shit. You know we are Americans, right? We can't afford that. No. Dylan grabs the painkillers from Caitlin and goes, ooh, fun. Caitlin's like, okay, so the cops are not going to believe this, right? We're all on the same page there. This night is crazy. Between all of us, we have to start taking pictures and trace this shit and have some sort of paper trail because it's going to be real difficult to explain that bears did all of this to all of us. What the fuck? What I love is that so many of them have seen this creature. They've all agreed it's not a bear, and they keep calling it fucking bears. They can't comprehend what the fuck they're looking at, (laughs) and the bears are the real scapegoats of this. This anti-bear propaganda (laughs) is such bullshit. Now, Caitlin, who loves to tell people what to do, is like, hey, Abby, go look around for anything that can make Nick a little more comfortable. Maybe, I don't know, a soup in the lake, the pool house. I don't fucking know. A soup. A soup. It's not with lake water. No. Abby starts poking around and finds a really scary drawing of a monster and is like, damn, that's crazy. And then she just like moves on with her life. (laughs) Caitlin is talking to Dylan and Ryan and is like, something is not right with Nick. Like, this dude is not okay. He's like, his personality is different. She said that when she was trying to help him like clean up his wounds, she couldn't find the punctures from where he was bleeding. He just was like flopping around and moving and he she just couldn't find any abrasions on his skin. Hmm. The boys are like, maybe it's rabies or something. I don't know if like that water freak out was a rabies thing. I don't really know how rabies works. Yeah, once the symptoms set in, uh, you're dead. They look over at Nick as Abby comes over to comfort him for a bit. Nick is sweating and he just looks really sick. He's like pale. The veins in his face are showing. He looks terrible. Nick asks Abby if she likes him. Abby is really gentle with him since he's like out of his mind, hurt and infected and sick. She's polite and she's like, look, I really enjoyed spending this summer with you. He looks at her and he's like, that's a cop out answer. He says he's got something to ask her. And he looks at her and Nick says, why don't you like me? Abby is still trying to be gentle since he's sick, but he's really defeatist and is like, you don't like me. I sure know how to pick him. And then he calls her stupid. Oh, please save it, fucking nice guy. Yeah. Abby tells him to stop. And she's like, this isn't you. And I'm uncomfortable. Like, you're making me feel bad. Please don't speak to me like this. Nick then grabs Abby by the hand and throws her across the pool house. The whole pool house. Like, across this giant room. And the whole group is like, holy shit, what is happening? Nick stands up and Abby backs into a corner of the room. She picks up a gun that, like, the boys had left over there and shoots at Nick, who takes the shot and recoils on the ground. He almost immediately starts to stand up, grunting, while Abby screams no. And then we see the skin explode off of Nick's body. The fuck did you just say? The skin pops off him like a balloon popping. And out from where his body was, 
a creature comes out of him. It is tall. It's nine, ten feet tall. It's completely back. It's skinny. It has red eyes, knife-like teeth, knife-like fucking claws. It runs. It jumps out of the window, and it howls up at the sky, leaving Abby covered in the blood and remains of what Nick was. Holy shit. So, with the howling, <laughs> it's been... This is where I figured out what the creature was. Yeah, it's been like a full moon this whole time. Yeah. So, it's a <laughs> werewolf? I will give you a hard confirmation on whether or not it's a werewolf in a little bit. But okay. I th- I might have gotten this a little bit earlier, actually. I think I told you while I was live playing, because I didn't know the twist of this. Right. Um, I managed to skip it for so long, and I was like, Tom, I think it's... I think it's this because of all these visual clues we keep getting, not because of the story necessarily, but because of the way things are laid out. And you're like, oh, crazy. Yeah. Well, I think back to Until Dawn, which gave us the Wendigo, right? Yeah, which is not a super common cryptid. Yeah, totally a unique one. One, I mean, not unique to the game. It's just that it's not one you commonly see at all. Right. But then you give us werewolf. Yeah. For the quarry. All right. (laughs) So let's check on Emma, who's like the only person not covered in blood right now. (laughs) She's over at the fire pit where she last saw all her friends and is like, okay, shit. So I've been alone for a long time. Fucking Jacob keeps ditching me because he's a piece of shit. (laughs) Um, All right. If I were scared in the woods, where would I go? The lodge. I would vlog about it, too. Yeah. She's obviously like, oh, and by the way, don't forget to like, comment, subscribe if I live. Uh, So she goes over to the lodge because she's like, that makes sense. To get to where my friends would reasonably go. Very practical. Totally get it. As she wanders through the woods, she runs into Jedediah and Bobby. They have one of the creatures, the same one that like Nick turned into, hanging by a rope in one of their traps. Bobby calls Jedediah, Pa. He's like, hey, Pa. And then they cut the creature down and look over him. Jedediah goes, God damn these fucking kids. <laughs> and then they like kind of hear a snap of a twig and they find Emma. Bobby asks his dad if she's bit and Jedediah doesn't know, but he kind of pokes around. He's like, nah, she's fine. Emma is laying on the ground and then kicks Jedediah and says, get the fuck away from me. And then runs off into the woods. They scream after her. They're like, hey, 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 wait, come back. But she yeets her ass out of there and is <laughs> like, I'm gone. <laughs> You'll never catch me alive. Emma runs into the lodge screaming for the group, but no one's there. And she's like, God damn it. This doesn't feel safe. In the pool house, Abby is like, did I kill Nick? Is Nick dead? (laughs) What happened to Nick? Caitlin and Ryan reassure her she didn't do anything wrong. She did absolutely the right thing. He turned into a monster. Like she had nothing to do with that. His skin exploded on its own. Off of him. And then a monster came out. Dylan is over there and he's like, I'm missing a hand if it makes you feel better. (laughs) Why would that make you feel better? (laughs) Then a knock comes at the door. We hear the voice of Laura, our fabulous final girl. And she calls out, where the fuck is Chris Hackett? Oh, this girl still needs to explain herself. Absolutely she does. Ryan takes charge and asks her who she is and what's going on. Laura says, I'm Laura Kearney. It's not safe out here. Let me in. Dylan is like, hey, no, no, no. Remember, there were those two counselors that were supposed to show up. One was supposed to be working in the nurse's office. I think it was her, but her and the other guy didn't show up. 
Laura hears this through the door and she's like, yep, that's me and Max. We were supposed to be counselors. I was training to be a vet, so I was supposed to work in the nurse's office, but I didn't make it to camp. Please let me in. God damn it. (laughs) They let her in, but Ryan has a gun pulled on her because reasonably they don't trust fucking anything and this bitch is a stranger. Exactly. Laura is covered in rainwater and goops and is rocking a seriously cool fucking eye patch. Yeah, at least she's not covered in blood like everybody else. Yeah, she's <laughs> her and uh, Emma are the only ones not covered in blood right now. This tarot card reader situation here, it's getting a little more dramatic, and she looks really, like, bored and over it. She's like, all right, let's get your fucking cards read. Not a fun lady. Chapter 7, The Past Behind Us. That's usually where it goes. <laughs> it's like, that feels like a redundant comment, but go for it. We cut back to June when we first met Laura and Max and Officer Ted Ramey. Laura is there, bloody, and laying in the floor of a jail cell, completely alone. She's exhausted. She can barely keep her eyes open, but she sees Officer Ted Ramey dragging Max's unconscious body into another cell next to her. There's a brick wall between the cells so they can't see each other, but it's obviously like an open-air little prison jail room, yeah. so they, they are able to talk and hear each other. Officer Ted Ramey locks Max in, and he walks away. He tells Laura, ma'am, this is going to get a little messy, and he leaves. In Max's cell, we see an explosion of blood hit the walls, and then Laura falls back into being unconscious. The fuck? This is the first night. The next day, Laura is handcuffed to a chair in the officer's, like, main office as he splashes her with water to wake her up. He says, this is an interrogation, and Laura is like, fuck you, eat shit. Laura notices the officer's badge says Hackett. This is Officer Travis Hackett. Oh, shit. He is a fucking Hackett. Everybody's a goddamn Hackett out here. Yeah. (laughs) Travis Hackett gets aggressive with Laura and demands to know what happened last night and what she saw. Laura's an asshole and she's like, fuck you, eat shit the whole time. Right. He's like, that's enough. Whatever. I'm fucking over it. I'm putting you back in your cell. Back in her cell, Laura calls out to Max, and Max is like, I'm confused, but I'm physically okay? Um, Also, why am I naked? She's like, I didn't know you were naked. Didn't he explode? He did explode. He did. But now it's the next morning, so everything's different. Okay. Laura does not know why he's naked. Max is like, so I'm super naked. There's blood and goop everywhere. Are you sure you don't remember what happened? I need some assistance. Yeah. Laura and Max have no idea what's going on, but before Laura can tell Max what the cop's name is, Officer Hackett brings Max a change of clothes, tells him to get dressed. Yeah, he doesn't want to see a naked man. Yeah, a naked 22-year-old boy. What a nightmare. Once dressed, Officer Hackett handcuffs Max and brings him out to interrogate him in his office the same way he did with Laura. Alone, Laura looks around her cell where she finds some scratches on a brick wall. These scratches are a limerick. Which reads, while the town of Northkill lay there sleeping, the hag in the woods started weeping. As the bodies decay, the wolves hunt their prey, and the sheriff continues his creeping. Oh, is that the hag of Hackett Lake or whatever? The hag of Hackett's quarry. Yeah. That's a limerick about her. Laura's like, cool, so this dude is such a creep, it made people write poems. (laughs) Awesome. 
She also manages to get a loose brick in her wall pulled off and figured she could use this as a hidey hole if she needs it later. The cop brings Max back to his cell and leaves them. Max screams that, you can't leave us in here, yells fuck, kicks the bars, hurts his foot, and then says, son of a binky bonky. Max, you are a big dumb animal, aren't you? <laughs> he's just a big dumb animal. You have no idea how right you are. The fact that he says son of a binky bonky is fucking insane. Binky bonky. How old are you, Max? 22 years old. <laughs> Maybe 23. He's grad school aged. Laura's like, so how is your interrogation? Max says he asked a lot of questions, weirdly specific ones, like where they were going, how he felt this morning, weird shit like that. Laura thinks it's weird that he asked how Max was feeling. Laura's like, okay, anyway, did you see his last name is Hackett? Like Chris Hackett? Max goes, oh my God, who's Chris Hackett? <laughs> Laura is like, hey, you dumbass. You know, like Hackett's Corey, Chris Hackett, the guy that hired us to work at camp, our boss who we've talked to. Gosh, you weren't kidding when you introduced Max saying he has no fucking clue where he is or what's going on ever. At any point. Like, I think Laura may have a conservatorship with him or something. Because <laughs> he doesn't know what the fuck is happening at any point. Max is like, wait, is this a setup? Like, Laura goes, well, maybe it's a camp counselor kidnapping ring. Like, neither of them have good ideas about what's going on. Right. Reasonably. Laura brings up that she's going to get them out of there and they're going to go to grad school and she'll get into a veterinary program. And then Max interrupts her saying, I actually didn't get accepted into school. Uh, I'm not surprised. Because <laughs> he's an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> Laura's like, wait, what the fuck, Max? We had plans. And Max is like, I don't know what to say. I planned on getting in. <laughs> it sounds like he planned on applying. He did apply, and he had a full rejection letter. Okay. <laughs> like, you can find the school rejection letter in the car as Laura really early on when you're when he's fixing the car. Oh, really? And she's just like, why didn't you tell me? And so you bring it up here regardless. And he's like, yeah, I didn't get into school. I'm, I'm not smart enough for that. Please let me live off of you, Laura. Oh, big dumb animal. <laughs> Max is like, hey, don't worry about it. Getting rejected from grad school is not the worst thing to happen this summer. He's like, oh, no, that's grade school. I, I, I got rejected <laughs> from grade school. They talk through the bars and try to make sense of what happened. The animal, when Max got attacked, and how weird it was that the only person they ever saw was Officer Hackett. Laura's like, I also smelled like wet fur. Maybe there was a dog at some point. Max is like, no, no, no. I remember that thing was fucking huge. It was like bigger than people sized. Laura's like, yeah. No, I remember that thing sinking its teeth into you and tearing you up. And Max goes, yeah, about that. Okay, um, this is crazy. I don't have a single scratch on me. Like unbreakable. I'm completely physically okay. And Max takes a moment. He goes, do you remember how big the moon was last night? Laura goes, yeah. And? And Max is like, full moon. What if it was werewolves? So... The dumbest person alive <laughs> pieced it together before anyone else. Truly before anyone else did. He's operating on another level, Tom. <laughs> we cut to the present and Ryan interrupts Laura saying, werewolves, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I feel the same way. 
Laura is like, that is exactly how I reacted. <laughs> Ryan, Laura and I are on the same fucking page. Entirely. Ryan is like, are you going to bring up zombies or like a time hopping Dracula into this shit? Laura tells Ryan to shut up and stop interrupting her and listen to the story. Now, originally there was a line here where Ryan asked if it was a Wendigo, but that was ultimately cut. That's a little heavy handed, even so? for this game. Yeah, why would these kids know what a Wendigo is unless they played Until Dawn? Yeah, the only people that know what a Wendigo is are people that played Until Dawn. Yeah, or like big cryptid heads, you know? Or listen to our episode on the show. <laughs> Maybe. Well, Ryan listens to a lot of podcasts. Yeah, he does listen to a lot of podcasts. <laughs> Dylan cuts in and is like, hey, would it be crazy if it was a werewolf, though? Like, we saw Nick explode into a monster, and it's a full moon tonight. Does that make sense to you guys? Ryan is disappointed that Dylan offers this and is interested in this werewolf fucking narrative. And Dylan's like, hey, what about your ghost stories? And Ryan is like, that is a literal campfire story, so shut the fuck up. Now she's saying werewolves exist, and our friend is one, so shut up. <laughs> and Dylan is like, you cut off my hand. Give me some peace here, okay? Like, they're just bickering like an old married couple. It's very cute. Laura hears this and is like, hey, you did the right thing getting rid of his infected hand. She pulls down her eye patch to show Ryan the hole in her head. What the fuck? You don't see it. But she, you like see her like clearly show off her fucking missing eye and shit. And she says, listen, just shut the fuck up. You need to hear the story for all the information so you know what's happening tonight. Back in the cells in the past, time passes. Officer Hackett feeds them and lets them shower, but mostly Max and Laura work hard to piece together what happened for weeks and weeks. They cannot figure out what happened at all, but they know they have to figure it out and get the fuck out of there. Sometime in July, about a month later, Laura really hits a wall. She says, we need to make a plan. We need to get the fuck out of here. Max is defeated and sad. Laura is like, get over it. We need a plan. We need to get out of here. She's like fucking Dutch Vanderlyn saying she needs a plan and she needs some faith. <laughs> Max is like, yeah, no, absolutely. I also want to get out of here. But hey, Laura, babe, I could be a fucking werewolf and I could kill you and I could eat you because I could be a werewolf. And Laura's like, yes, that is valid. But let's figure out what's going on and get out of fucking jail. When he was already part golden retriever. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Officer Hackett comes down to see them and they're like trying to butter him up, but he's really not having it. Laura eventually is like, hey, we know Max is a werewolf. <laughs> and Travis Hackett gets mad and saying, hey, you don't know the half of it. And then he storms off. What, like it's his problem? Kind of, yeah. He's like very personally invested in this werewolf shit. A few days later, it's the full moon. Officer Hackett is telling Max to take his clothes off. Max refuses and Officer Hackett tases him. He tells Laura she won't believe this until she sees it. So he takes her out of her cell puts her in a chair and handcuffs her to the wall right in front of Max's cell so she can see directly into it. Officer Hackett tells Laura, you want to be a vet, right? Consider this an internship. Oh my God. It's so dark. You won't understand until you see it for yourself. It's not going to be pretty. Don't worry. I'll be back at dawn. Just don't get too close to the bars. Laura is terrified, obviously, but she can finally see Max after weeks of being separated by a wall. Max is sitting on his bed and he looks like he's in pain. He's like kind of rocking back and forth and doing that thing where you're like, oh, I'm, I'm going to barf. Oh, Laura looks on and gets closer to the cell in her chair. 
She tells Max she's here and asks him to describe how he feels. He can't focus. He's not okay. He says he doesn't feel so good. It's hot in here. And then he tells her to stay back. She's like, hey, I'm handcuffed to the wall. So, yeah, I, I'm as back as I can, my yeah. guy. <laughs> Don't worry. I'm not coming any closer. Max breathes heavy as Laura looks on, helpless and somewhat scared of her boyfriend. Max gets on the ground and starts growling. He's on all fours. He grunts and he starts to sound like a beast. And then all at once, he explodes in a blood bomb and reaches out through the bars and swipes at Laura. Blood bomb. This swipe frees her from the pipe, but it also takes one of her eyes with her. Oh, shit. She covers her eye with her hand and her entire body is covered in Max's blood. It's so fucking gross. Is it like a scene out of the boys whenever somebody gets like Jack Quaid gets covered in blood? Yeah, it's just a full bomb explodes of blood and it's (laughs) everywhere. And Laura's like, God damn it. Laura does manage to make it to a bathroom to see herself in the mirror and looks in the mirror and goes, fuck. She does find enough, like, first aid shit in the bathroom and manages to clean herself up and give herself stitches in the eye. Stitches in the eye. Fuck. I mean, that is going to be some practice for veterinary school for sure. (laughs) She says so much for death perception. (laughs) So much. She does have, like, free range of the police station right now. So she goes through and she goes snooping, leaves Max in his cell, like, freaking out, growling, like, just being a werewolf, just general werewolf shit. (laughs) If you go by, he can swipe at you through the bars, but he can't, like, hurt you again. Okay. Laura learned her lesson. Laura goes through. She finds a cease and desist letter from Officer Travis Hackett to the bizarre yet bona fide podcast people to stop looking into the hag of Hackett's quarry. (laughs) She also finds another one of the needles with the tranquilizers in there, just like the one that he used on her last month. She pockets this because she's like, ooh, I could use that shit. She digs around, but Officer Hackett does eventually come back. His face is covered in blood. He asks Laura why she didn't run. She's like, I would never leave Max behind. Oh. Officer Hackett's like, okay, well, whatever. Let's get you back in your cell. The next morning, Officer Hackett compliments on how well she did with her eye. Laura's like, yeah, I was good at this, but without an eye, I can't really be a vet. This sucks. Yeah. Officer Hackett is like, look. This isn't what it seems. He tells her that she and Max are in just as much trouble as he is. He says his family never meant to hurt anyone. They're just trying to survive out here. He tells her that they're going to end this thing once and for all. And Laura's like, we? I'm a prisoner. Yeah. He's like, yeah, well, we're all in this shit now. Laura's a badass and is immediately like, absolutely, let's fucking end this. Fuck the werewolves. Let us out and we'll figure this shit out. We'll go get help. You know, we'll we'll get an expert or something. Travis Hackett is like, no, that's not the plan. He says, Laura, you're going to do this for Max and I'm going to get what I need out of this. Like, yeah, sure, buddy, whatever. It's not a bad plan. He picks up an old piece of paper and he says, this is the information you need. And he makes Laura read it. She reads, when the full moon above shines first, The beast internal shall outward burst. One by one leads lambs to slaughter. It stalks your breath, but shuns clear water. And should you yourself be cursed, armed with silver and the first. When moon is full before its wane, rend the beast that cursed you slain. No longer shall you face your blight or fear the dread of the full moon's light. 
And if it's a bite with which you're faced, cleave limb from torso with great haste. Perchance you'll save your cursed soul before infection takes its toll. <laughs> Laura's like, all right, this is pretty straightforward. Got it. Yeah, thank God this ancient ritual has such a great rhyme scheme. There's so many poems about werewolves. <laughs> but Laura's like, I inferred what I need to. Kill the werewolf that gave you the curse. Let's fucking go. Officer Hackett's like, look, it's not that straightforward. Like, it's not as straightforward as you think. You have to kill a werewolf. That's not an easy thing to do. I don't know. The poem said get him wet or hit him with silver. <laughs> they just don't like the water. Yeah. He leaves and lets Laura figure her shit out. He says he needs her medical knowledge to do this right. And she's like, yeah, okay, fine, whatever. I'm going to kill a fucking werewolf. That's fine. Not a big deal, man. Officer Hackett leaves and Max apologizes to Laura, mostly about the eye. Laura's like, yeah, you know what? I get it, but we got to get out of here. A few days later, Chris Hackett has arrived at the police station. He's mad at Travis Hackett, his brother, and is like, hey, dipshit, I found out about this abandoned car. I had two counselors who never showed up. I saw that you were hiding a car at the scrapyard. I fucking figured it out. What happened? What did you do? <laughs> Travis is like, how did you unlock my fucking puzzle? And Chris is like, are you fucking serious? I just explained it to you. <laughs> Chris is like, yeah, man, I figured it out. Also, you shot me like three times. Because remember, when they got Max down in the storm drain, Travis did shoot down the storm drain thing, like, or excuse me, the storm shelter three times after he knocked Laura out. Oh. But he didn't shoot him with silver because it was Chris Hackett, his brother. Oh, shit. Chris is a werewolf, which is also why he had to get away from camp so quickly. So is Travis like the non-werewolf member of the family? Or he is not a werewolf. Bobby is not a werewolf. We've confirmed that because he's out at night. And Jedediah is not a werewolf because he's also out at night in the full moon. But there are Hackett's who are. Chris Hackett is a werewolf. And Kaylee Hackett was a werewolf. Oh. Chris Hackett says, I'm telling mom. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the funniest thing to me when adult siblings are like, I'm going to tell mom. Right. You're like, no, file your taxes. Shut up. They fight and like bicker for a bit because Chris is mad that Travis never told him about the counselors. And also he shot him and officer Travis Hackett is like, I'm trying to make this okay. Like, let me figure this out. I'm trying to gather resources so we can kill other werewolves and stuff. And then they both realize they may be an earshot of Laura and Max and like walk away. They're like, oh, God damn it. Not in front of the kids. So they're just trying to cover for their brother. What's going on? As soon as... Chris and Travis Hackett walk away. Laura is like, Max, did you fucking hear that? Chris Hackett's a werewolf and he's the one that bit you. And Officer Travis Hackett didn't kill the werewolf because it's his fucking brother. And that's why this is so complicated. <laughs> you don't know the half of it. And Max is like, wait, what? And Laura goes, oh my God, they were just here. Why can't you listen to your surroundings? He's like, no, I heard everything. I just didn't understand shit. Yeah, he's like, I don't know who that was. <laughs> what if that was a different man? She's like, they said each other's names. You fuck. Why am I dating you? They greeted each other like a bad movie where they say their relationship and their names at each other. And their full names at each other. <laughs> Laura's like, okay, here's the deal. We kill Chris Hackett. You stop being a werewolf. And Max is like, ah, oh, like the poem. <laughs> yes, the poem. The next day, Max is screaming for Officer Hackett. He's like, help, help. Laura needs help. And Laura is on the ground holding her stomach, like writhing in pain. 
She's groaning and she's panting and she seems like she's having some sort of medical emergency. Max is yelling and yelling and he's like trying to seem really, really panicked. Using the tranquilizer that Laura swiped and hid behind the loose brick in her fucking cell. The little hidey hole. Her little hidey hole. She pricks Officer Hackett and he falls unconscious. Oh, shit. Laura grabs his gun and his keys and lets Max out and now they can leave. Hell yeah, Laura. Final girl, bad bitch energy. Fucking get it. They go to leave but realize, oh shit, you know what? If we need to kill the werewolf, we need some silver so we can be ready. Laura hears some whispers in the halls and is like, wait. What the fuck? Did you hear that? They look around, but they're like, no one else has been here ever. It's only ever been us and Travis. Max is like, wait, I hear that too. It sounds like an old woman. What the fuck? What is this old woman whispers? Exactly. They follow it into a room that was locked. When they unlock it, no one's in there. But in that room, there's a bunch of shotgun shelves loaded with silver. This is like homemade ammo made just for werewolves. Damn, it's their werewolf hunting cabin. Yeah. Well, this is in the police station. Yeah. Max takes a moment to go, oh, shit. Wait, we're free. Laura. Laura's like, hell yeah, we are. But we're not free until you're freed from your werewolf curse. Right. So we have to go to the camp and we have to kill Chris Hackett so you don't stay a werewolf forever. They grab the ammo. They get the fuck out of the police station. They steal a cop car just to drive through and they head to camp. And now that leads up to today. Laura says she left Max on the island, so he's surrounded by water and can't get too lost. Oh, smart. And that's where Emma went and just kind of got chased by the lone werewolf on the island. Exactly. (laughs) Max is the werewolf that attacked Emma on the island. And Laura just put him there so he wouldn't run in anyone and hurt anyone. And he'd be surrounded by water so she can't lose him. Smart plan. Honestly, she's a genius. I fucking love Laura. Dylan is like, okay, well, Jacob headed to the island to look for Emma, and we haven't seen them since. Shit. Laura goes, well, it's probably fine. Um, I was just there, and there's only one werewolf, and there's no people, but it's it's probably fine. Let's be real. Um, they probably left. Max can't leave because werewolves hate water, and Dylan goes, oh, fuck. Because I think he just put together that when Nick fell into the water, it was his werewolf shit being like, I fucking hate water. Yeah. Ah." Laura's like, okay, but anyway, TLDR, I'm here to kill Chris Hackett. Anyway, she's like, I went through, I shot what I thought was Chris, went back to the island, but Max was still a werewolf. So I got one werewolf down, but it wasn't Max. It didn't help. Oh. Shit. Was that the daughter? Yeah. Ryan's like, well, Laura, that was Kaylee, Chris's daughter. (laughs) Big whoopsies on your point. Looks like Kaylee turned back into a human after she shot at the werewolf. So, like, when you die as a werewolf, you turn back into your human form. Got it. Ryan is still, like, really distraught explaining this. Because, again, he was really close with Chris and his kids. And Laura's like, well, I shot a werewolf. I didn't shoot a kid. You get that, right? Yeah. Dylan is like, well, if you went back for Max and he was still a werewolf, why didn't he kill you? And Laura goes, he tried. (laughs) And shows them her mangled arm from where her werewolf boyfriend bit her. Yeah. She is now infected with the curse. Ryan pulls a gun on her and she's like, we don't have much time. I'm going to turn eventually. Let's get this shit done. Okay. In a separate scene, we see an old lady walking along some cages. She goes, oh, look at you in that cage. She's taunting a captured werewolf and she's like, come here. Take a bite of me. You know you want a bite. But as the creature runs up to her, 
the cage is electrified and it gets shocked. <laughs> she calls it a dumb fucking animal and walks away. This is Constance Hackett, the matriarch of the Hackett family. This is who Chris cried to after Travis Hackett shot him. Oh, this is, I'm going to tell mom. Yes, yeah, this is mom. Oh, shit. She must have had Max in that cage. He was so dumb. <laughs> she wishes. <laughs> this is a whole different set of cages. No, this is her fucking kids. We see Bobby dragging a still, only in his underwear, Jacob, into one of these cells. Jacob is frantic and upset and is like, what the fuck? My parents don't have money, but they can get you money. Like, let me go. <laughs> Full white boy shit. Oh, the money's not going to save you here, pal. Jedediah follows after them. Bobby scoops Jacob up and puts him in a cell and throws him to the ground. Jedediah says, that's two, Bobby. Bobby and Jedediah turn to leave and Jacob screams after them. He then looks over and realizes two cells down is a werewolf. He is terrified looking directly at this animal and is like, holy shit. Because remember, he doesn't know there's werewolves yet. So he's just like, what fucking bear is that? Yeah. Because it's obviously a bear in his stupid mind. <laughs> From here, when you see the tarot card reader, she calls you a nosy little rat for poking around where you don't belong. Which like, bitch, I thought we were cool. Right. Chapter eight, Belly of the Beast. Ryan is screaming, she killed Kaylee. Laura rolls her eye and goes, we went over this. <laughs> Ryan really hates this and doesn't want to believe any of this. He goes back to, you heard a voice at the police station? A woman's voice? Laura's like, yeah, what? Shut up. This isn't a ghost story. It's a werewolf story. Yeah. Laura goes up to Abby and notices she has a silver bracelet on. She quickly takes the bracelet and makes Abby some silver ammo to protect herself with. It's, quickly. Yeah. It's kind of just like shoving silver into a bullet, which I I don't understand how bullets work. <laughs> but pretty sure it's not like that. Yeah. Laura's like, okay, so where does Chris Hackett live when he's not at camp? Caitlin mentions there's a scary, spooky house behind the woods. Ryan is immediately annoyed that Caitlin mentions this because he's protective of Chris. Mm. Ryan really, really hates the idea of Chris Hackett being a werewolf and even more hates the idea of Chris Hackett getting killed by this lunatic cyclops. Right. Laura is all about her mission and pleads with them for help to find Chris Hackett and put an end to all this like werewolf bullshit. Ryan hears this and is like, I'm going with you. Ryan's heart has faith that Chris wanted nothing to do with this and he wants to find a new way of making this work without killing anyone. And so Laura and Ryan go off into the woods looking for the Hackett house and they fucking hate each other. <laughs> Laura asks about the camp and the house and Ryan has no answers for her. They both argue that the other doesn't know the real Chris Hackett. Ryan tells her Mr. Hackett just wants to help others and like raise good adults and like see kids have a fun summer and Laura is like he bet my boyfriend and my boyfriend's a werewolf now. He's not that good of a fucking dude. What I love though is that she is not ever changing her mind on that. Like she knows Max is a good person. Yeah. And still a werewolf. Yeah. She's like, my man's as dumb as hell, but he's a sweet boy. I'm just surprised there's nobody going, are we still going to rule out the bear? <laughs> Dylan, I'm sure he's going to find a way to say a bear again <laughs> by the end of this game. Dylan is team herd of bears. Herd of bears. Yeah, I've heard of bears. They really just can't find like a common ground between Ryan and Laura. So they're just bickering until they come up on this huge house in the woods. Ryan's like, I've never been here, but I think this is where his mom lives. Like it's the family house. So this is the best place to start. The house has huge fencing. So Laura's like, so how do we get in? 
Ryan goes, maybe we don't. Fuck you. I don't like this plan. Whatever. They chat a bit more and try to hop the fence, but they both end up falling. And they fall and they fall and they actually fall down into a deep water source running under the house. Like a moat? Like a mine. Oh, shit. Deep under the house is a water source leading up into the main house. They crawl out of the water and Ryan notices that Laura's bruises from her scuffle with Max have actually healed. He goes, wait, hold up. So the werewolf curse can physically heal you. We saw that with Nick. You saw that with Max. And then Ryan reaches over and lifts Laura's eye patch to reveal her eye has healed and is back. Oh, no. So she's wolfing out so hard it brought her eye back, which is actually really cool. Damn. Laura is really stoked and she's like, oh, hell yeah, I can see y'all again. (laughs) This shit's sick. In the walkways through the water area, Laura founds a letter from a miner who worked here in the 1930s, writing home about the mines shutting down. This house is super old and was built on mines. You know, like how there was a sanatorium built on mines until dawn. I think super massive is just like, we built so many fucking sets for mines that you guys are going to use these or I'm going (laughs) to lose my goddamn mind. You know, they were like, you have to use the assets. Yeah. There's going to be mines in every super massive game just because like, fuck you, we made so many. I designed so many levels. Laura and Ryan journey up through the mine walkways towards the house and hear a woman's voice echo through the mine. Ryan at this point is like, oh, that's for sure the hag of Hackett's quarry. She's warning us. Right. Laura just kind of accepts that with open arms and open eyes. She tries to make some small talk with Ryan, and Ryan ends up saying that Dylan and Caitlin both have crushes on them. And she's like, for real? And he goes, they're not subtle. <laughs> Laura asks which one he likes more, and he's avoidant and doesn't say either way. Now, I want to take a beat here and talk about Ryan. So that's portrayed by Justice Smith, who in real life has a boyfriend, is queer. And he said he took this role because he was really just excited to see uh, a person of color being queer and it not being their entire personality. He's like, it's so great that this isn't a token queer character and this isn't a token black or mixed character. He's like light-skinned, so, you know, either way. He was just like, this is a cool fucking character. This character's, you know, smart, very thoughtful, you know, very, very loyal. Like, he's a good friend and he's very protective of the people that he cares about, you know, and that's what defines him. He's not defined by who he loves. He's not defined by what he looks like. He's defined by the traits he brings to the table. And he loved that about this character, which is why he took it. You know, he's doing these crazy Dungeons and Dragons and Detective Pikachu. This is a franchise actor. Like, he's going to have a cape on in the next five years and we'll be like, yeah, of course. Yeah. You know? (laughs) I knew this character loved podcasts before I knew he was queer. Yeah, right? (laughs) And you're like, hell yeah, that's my podcast, boy. (laughs) But I just wanted to throw that out there that Justice Smith really took this because he was like, absolutely, that's fucking great. Let's go. It's good that there's like an opportunity for that to be a character too. Yeah. And, you know, similarly to Life is Strange 2, you can make the choice to have Ryan kind of pursue Dylan more or kind of pursue Caitlin more. There is a situation you can put yourself in as Ryan to kiss either one of them. Okay. At one point, I just wanted to like gloss over because there were bears and stuff. Right. Uh, <laughs> but you can kind of drive that character into leaning more one way or the other, but he does have more scenes with Dylan, so it's kind of fun if there's a little more tension there. But yeah, I I love that for him, and I think he does a great job. His sexuality isn't his personality. It's just a part of who he is, and this was handled very well, and I appreciated it. Yeah, no, it was very well done. I can be defined as myself as a bisexual nightmare, but, like, I make that, (laughs) you know? (laughs) 
just because I fall in love with every fictional character and like person. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that's me. I'm not a I'm not a quiet Ryan type. I'm a loud, I like something and I'm gonna be loud about it kind of person. So. As you should be. Yeah. <laughs> now, up and over the mine walkways, they get into a cellar area. That looks like it holds like wine barrels and rum barrels from the Prohibition era. The Hackett's have been in this place since the Prohibition era, basically, like running rum and shit throughout the mines. So, okay, that's pretty cool. Yeah, just a little flavor of history for you. Little mob run. They finally find a door and together, Laura and Ryan push through into the basement of the house. While this is happening, Caitlin is navigating the lodge with Dylan and Abby. Dylan is like, this shit is trashed. Wait, what happened? What did you guys do to the fucking lodge? He's been gone for a while. Right. Caitlin is like, yeah, that's my bad. I ran into one of the locals and kind of sprinted through the house really quickly. (laughs) The lodge really quickly, excuse me. Abby is worried about Jacob and Emma because we haven't seen them in a while. And Caitlin reassures her the best thing they can do is work together and get help. So like. Don't worry about that right now. Let's just focus on calling people to get help, get ourselves safe until the morning. We'll figure it out. Okay, baby girl. Because Caitlin's just the mom. Yeah. (laughs) With the lodge secured, the three go outside where they hear something creaking in the minivan full of their clothes. They're like, God damn it. But wait, maybe it's Jacob or maybe it's Emma. I don't know. They kind of like start to go towards it. Dylan offers to open the door. And as he does... Emma appears. Oh. She screams and she sprays something directly into Dylan's eyes. <laughs> Dylan drops to the ground like he was diving for dirt, screaming, she maced me. And he's rolling around, holding his head with his hand and stump, screaming that he's going blind. Oh, this guy's having the worst fucking night. Caitlin looks over at Emma, looks over at Dylan, goes, stop, stop, stop. That's not mace. And then Emma holds up the can showing that she just sprayed him with air freshener because that's all she could find in the van. (laughs) Dylan realizes he's not going blind, stands up and goes, oh, okay. Oh, my God, you overreacting little bitch. (laughs) Dylan's the wildest character and I love him so fucking much. Emma looks at Dylan's hand and is like, hey, what's going on? But then Caitlin goes, drop it. (laughs) With everyone not blind here. Caitlin pops the hood of the van because she's like, I can fix cars for some reason because I'm that person (laughs) and goes, ah, shit, the engine's missing a rotor arm. Ah, fuck. Oh, you know what? It's okay. There's a scrapyard not that far away from here. I can run over to the scrapyard, grab one out of a car there. Just real quick. Yeah. She also manages to forget that she told Jacob just straight up, hey, we could probably spend another night here if you took the rotor arm out and then like that would keep the car from turning over. And now the rotor arm is missing. Like, these do not connect, but I guess it's been a really long night, so, like, it's fine. But... It's been a really long night of running from werewolves. <laughs> I can actually understand why she would forget. Yeah. Anyway, Caitlin's like, I'm going to the scrapyard. Dylan, come with me. And Dylan's like, I'm missing a hand. Do I have to go? And she's like, yes. I need you to lend me the other one. I need you to hold the flashlight, dipshit. <laughs> it's the one thing you can do still. And he, she does hold the gun, so he just kind of goes with her. And they leave Abby and Emma back safe at the lodge. Dylan tells them there's a shelter under the lodge they can stay safely in, which is that same storm shelter that we've been running into from before. Laura and Ryan go deeper through the cellar, back over at Hackett property, and see barrels on barrels of booze. 
Some of them are like a hundred years old, so they're like, okay. That's some aged ass whiskey. Some vintage rum, I see you. Upstairs in the house, Officer Travis Hackett is in a room with his mother, Constance Hackett. He is distraught, but he hears something. He's like, wait, do you hear that? What's that? Sounds like something's going on downstairs. Constance says it's nothing. They have some guests downstairs until the morning. It doesn't really put him at ease, but he accepts it and is just like, Jesus Christ. Underneath, Laura and Ryan find a room full of cages. And then they see Jacob sitting still in his underwear in one of them. Ryan runs up to the cage and he's like, Jacob, Jacob, are you okay? But Jacob, his brain is gone. He is numb. He's not saying anything. He's just staring down at the ground. Ryan looks around to try and let him out. After a while, Jacob is like, wait, no, my friend really is here. This is happening. Oh, my God, wait. There's an electrical box over there that controls the electric part of the cages. This is all electrified. There's a werewolf over there. There's a very specific sequence to let me out. Please be careful. Yeah. Upstairs, Constance asks Travis why he's at the house. He should be with the others hunting the wolf. Officer Hackett tells Constance that Kaylee is dead. Mm. Her only granddaughter was shot with a silver bullet tonight, and now she's dead. Constance Hackett fucking loses it. She's screaming. She says, no, no, you're full of shit. Fuck you. She denies it to Travis Hackett. Oh. That's her only granddaughter. She screams, and she screams at him, and she's like, no, not my Kaylee. What did you do to her? What did you do to her? He can't say anything. Fuck. Downstairs, Laura is inspecting the cage while Ryan asks what's happened if Jacob's been bitten. Thankfully, Jacob is fine. He's just in his underwear, covered in blood, (laughs) being a dumbass. The least protected person is fine. Yeah, he's actually protected the most. He's in a cage where nothing can get to him. Yeah. Laura puts her focus on the other werewolf, and she's like, wait, maybe I should kill this one. But Ryan stops her from shooting the other werewolf. Afraid it may be Nick and that the hunters picked Nick up out in the woods and they're keeping him until the morning. Mm. He reasons that they probably didn't put Chris down here if Kaylee was out running around, so there's no need to shoot. Right. Upstairs, Constance is enraged at Travis Hackett. She calls him a piece of shit and screams at him to leave her. The screaming echoes down to the cage room and Laura notices this. Like, oh shit, something's going on up there. Ryan and Jacob bicker a bit about using which power fuse to get Jacob out of the cage. And Ryan goes up to the fuse box and messes around with some fuses on the wall and is able to get Jacob out of the cage while keeping the werewolf inside the cage. Nice. Jacob, shocked and scared, comes out. Ryan is like, holy shit, you look terrible. Also, I haven't seen Emma at all. You should find them, though. Jacob nods and runs off into the woods to rejoin the group. Because he's like, I'm getting the fuck out of this house. I don't know why y'all are here, but I'm the fuck out. Yeah, I'm not sticking around. Also, werewolves exist. Laura lets Ryan and Jacob have their, like, goodbye moment. And then Laura takes Ryan to find their way into the main Hackett house. Constance is just going, not my Kaylee. Not my little Kaylee. That is my only granddaughter. Not my Kaylee. She then starts tearing into Travis Hackett about not killing those fucking counselors that he had locked up for months. How they stole his silver shells and they're the ones that killed Haley. Travis tries to reason with her that we didn't want any incessant killing, but she screams at him that he should have taken care of the fucking problem. She calls him a motherfucker. She says the only reason he's got that badge is because Hank died in that gypsy fire. 
She tells him to stop acting like he's better than everyone because he's an officer. I'm sorry, but did mom call her son a motherfucker? She did. I don't think she gets that. <laughs> Didn't love that. I'm not going to lie. He asks her to sit down, please. And she just screams, don't you tell me what to do, you piece of shit. They hear creaking from the trap door into the cellar and both quietly move near the door. Quickly, all at once, Constance swings open the trap door, revealing Laura, who had been trying to get up into the house and was listening in on the conversation. Oh, shit. Constance grabs Laura by her ponytail and drags her up as Laura warns Ryan to run. Travis Hackett says, Ma, send down Bobby to get Ryan. Oh, man. We see the tarot card reader and the shine of something burning glimmers in her eyes, like she's near a lot of candles, but only one is seen lit. Her eyes hold more fire than she's letting on. Chapter 9. Oh, my God. The Matriarch. Dylan and Caitlin are working their way towards the scrapyard. They don't know exactly where it is, but they know they passed the scrapyard on their way into camp, so it can't be that far. Dylan takes a minute to be like, cool, guess I don't have a hand now. <laughs> Caitlin's like, no, you're going to look great with a hook. We can call you Hooky McHookface. That's what she came up with? Yep. You know, she's great at other things. Yeah, she was the one that came up with the idea for Bodie McBoatface. <laughs> that is iconic. He's like, yeah, I really got to like go on a journey and find myself with this one. This is a good starting over point. Yeah. Being the guy with one hand. <laughs> they make it to the scrapyard without any drama, and thankfully it's open and unlocked. Motion sensor lights turn on and scare them for a second, but they're still alone, and they can at least have light throughout the fucking cars and shit. In the storm shelter under the lodge, Abby and Emma are barricaded in. Abby asks Emma, all right, what do we do now? Emma makes a joke of it and is like, eh, let's go watch TV and hang. We just have to hang out here till morning. Yeah, until dawn. <laughs> Abby is like, how are you like this, genuinely? What, what is wrong or good in your brain where you can be chill? Yeah. Emma just goes, well, I don't like seeing people be sad, so I want to be a beacon of happiness when I can. That's why I vlog. Abby is like, introverts are more rooted in reality. <laughs> What the fuck is happening to you? Honestly, Emma has one of the biggest mouths. And I mean that in the sense of like actual large mouth. <laughs> Her mouth animation is wild in the game. It is. I think it's just an issue with the programming, to be honest. Yeah. They just still haven't made mouths look great. Right. Especially in mocap. Yeah. But yeah, her mouth is extraordinarily large. In the Hackett house, Constant Hackett drags Laura by her ponytail across the floor and then kills the lights and fights Laura for her gun. She basically is like, can't shoot what you can't see, kills the lights, and is like, give me the gun. Jesus. Constance manages to get the gun away, and Travis Hackett is like, Jesus Christ, everyone shut up and stop. He's still, like, in his cop uniform, so he's like, I have to be the authority. God damn it. Yeah. Jedediah gets upset hearing this. Bobby comes upstairs with Ryan in his arm, and Constance calls Laura a bitch. And starts getting in her face. And then Laura does some crazy person shit. And she just starts humming to herself really loudly. Humming. She just goes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, it's so jarring in gameplay that this is what this bitch decides to do. <laughs> the whole family is confused by this. So they all stop moving. Well, then it worked. You know, Laura's just like. <laughs> Ryan tries to make a run for it. And as he does, Bobby stabs him. Oh, shit. 
Ryan, with the knife in him, makes it to a dumbwaiter and just, like, starts fucking hauling ass out of that room. Yeah. Laura keeps humming, and then Constance takes a pistol and shoots her to shut her up. Now, none of them realize that Laura is infected yet. Right. Ryan has gotten away and is now upstairs in the house hiding from the Hackett's. He does manage to find a letter from Kaylee to her grandmother, Constance, and in it she is begging to be able to leave the house and the campground and see the outside world. Oh. She also mentions she has nightmares of a fire and how regretful she is about it. Interesting. Hmm. The Hackett's are all looking for Ryan, who's bleeding a lot, so we got to get him safely away from everyone, especially Bobby, who's like hot on his tail. This house is a fucking compound. It's huge, and Bobby is like, Right on, Ryan. A bit later, Laura wakes up alone on the floor of the Hackett house. Since the Hackett's assumed she wasn't infected and didn't realize she'd be okay after being shot, they were just like, whatever, she'll be dead. We're going to leave the room and move on with our lives. Now, Laura can poke around checking out the house, but she has to move quickly because she knows the Hackett's are hunting right now, at least for Ryan, and they won't be happy to see her running around. (laughs) She silently moves through the big dark house and she finds an invoice for the $5,000 cages in the basement with a note that says, this should be enough to hold Chris, Kaylee, and Caleb. Enough for Chris and both of his kids who are all werewolves. Oh my goodness. Except Kaylee, who's dead. Yeah. Laura opens one door and there's just Jedediah and Constance Hackett together. And she's like, well, shit. (laughs) Jedediah says, I thought you got shot. Laura says, I got better. She mocks them again, saying, shooting me last time worked so well. What are you going to fucking do? Shoot me again? (laughs) Jedediah says, it's not enough silver to kill you, but it's enough to make you suffer. Oh, shit. He then goes to stab Laura with one of those big ass hunter's knives. But Laura's wolf powers are starting to creep in. She kicks the shit out of this old man. Hell yeah. But then like gets distracted by this really bright light that's like fucking with her vision. The light is, like, harming her, and she can't really see, so she runs to a power box and kills all the lights. Constance tells Jedediah to kill her, but Laura can see in the dark with her, like, werewolf fucking sensitivity. Yeah. Constance yells out in the dark, I'm going to enjoy watching you die, little girl. Damn. (laughs) Officer Travis Hackett comes in and tells everyone to stop. His parents both just tell him to shoot her to fill her with silver. He looks at her, and he just can't bear to do it, and Laura runs through the hall, slams the door behind her, and is gone. Damn. Elsewhere in the house, Ryan is spilling pints of blood behind him. Because, <laughs> again, active stab wound. Right. And Bobby still can't catch up to him, but is real close. At one point, Ryan hides inside of a wall and holds his breath while Bobby walks around looking for him. Oh, has to do the hold breath thing? Yeah, which it, it works in this situation really well. Like, it's very tense. That's great. Bobby does eventually catch up to him in the courtyard of the house, and Ryan is like, Please, man, just help me not die, and I won't fucking tell. (laughs) Bobby is like, no, family first. And then Bobby looks at him and genuinely says, you stole my knife. Oh. And then he walks over and rips his knife out of Ryan's side. Oh, Jesus. Ryan clutches his stab wound, and Laura comes in and tells Bobby to pick on someone his own size. She's real close to being a wolf at this point. Yeah. Bobby notices she's been bit and starts calling for Travis. Laura looks at Ryan and is like, what happened to you? What the fuck? Ryan says, it's nothing out of the ordinary, just a stabbing. (laughs) Just a regular everyday stabbing. 
It's real bad. And Laura is sad and remorseful that Ryan got hurt. She's like, I truly was not trying to bring you as like firing. You know, like I just you came with me for help, not for this. I'm sorry. From here, we make a fun decision for Laura and Ryan. Oh, Laura's like, okay, so you're hurt. You're not getting better. But if I infect you, the curse will make you heal really quickly. And honestly, you may not even turn because like it, it takes a while for you to turn all wolfy. So can I bite you and fix this shit? Can you? Ryan is like, okay, so to reiterate, more werewolves mean we have more reason to kill Chris Hackett, the one person that means something to me. <laughs> and I don't love that, but if I don't get bitten, I'm going to bleed out. So someone's dying either way. God damn it. Yeah. Laura gets ready for a snack. <laughs> Ryan winces in pain as Laura sinks her teeth directly into Ryan. He takes the bite like a champ, and Laura says he should start to feel better soon. They hear some movement in the main house, and Laura helps Ryan up, and they head farther out. Finally, in the scrapyard, Dylan and Caitlin are looking for a car that hasn't been completely stripped apart, and Caitlin mans the gun while Dylan leads them through the dark. As they enter new areas of the scrapyard, the lights automatically shut on. They find a note from Officer Hackett asking to keep one of the cars he found off the books at the scrapyard. This is the car that he had to get rid of after he arrested and detained Laura and Max. Oh, shit. They see one car that looks pretty intact, but it's on a magnet high in the air being operated by a crane. Caitlin is like, hey, any chance you're good at claw games? Dylan says, you know, actually, as a kid, people would call me the grabber. That's probably for different reasons. (laughs) And he's only got the one hand now, so (laughs) why would you send him up to do this, babe? Dylan is sent up to the crane mechanic area to let the car all the way down. This is actually Laura and Max's car. With one hand, Dylan single-handedly is able to get the crane turned on. And as the crane gets turned on, really loud music and spinning hazard lights turn on. Oh, no. Which is not great for laying low. No. Dylan kills the music and then moves the car to a good drop point so it's on the ground. Caitlin's actually really impressed with this feat, and Dylan's like, I found myself. (laughs) Caitlin goes digging around the car, and then Dylan sees from his high vantage point in the crane cockpit that the lights are flickering on across the yard, coming towards them. Oh, shit. He knows something is triggering the motion sensor lights, and sure enough, a werewolf jumps on the car. Oh, damn. Caitlin is inside the car at this point, and she's screaming, Dylan! Dylan, get the damn werewolf off the damn car! Hurry the fuck up! The werewolf climbs all over the car and starts heading down the arm towards the crane and as it does Caitlin jumps out of the car and lands on some tires shit the wolf moves towards Dylan in the crane but then he jumps back down to go after Caitlin Dylan tries to help but he's too late Caitlin gets bit before Dylan is able to drop the car on top of the werewolf oh no and now it's quiet up in the storm shelter Abby and Emma are like cool so all we do is wait until the sun comes up cool Abby's bored and wants to do something, so she's not just sitting on her ass and starts exploring the shelter. Abby does find some silver shells, so this was really helpful. Oh, good. While investigating further, Abby hears the voice of a woman whisper her name, but she shrugs it off. Don't shrug off the mystery voice saying your name. (laughs) She and Emma find a ladder, actually, that goes all the way up to a tiny door in the lodge. Emma's like, oh, we absolutely need to know what's up there if we need a secret escape route or... Also, I'm bored, so let's do it. Abby goes up and crawls through the trap door and finds herself in Chris Hackett's office. This security safe room was the trap door 
behind his desk. Mm, okay. It's quiet over there, but the Hackett house hasn't been so quiet. <laughs> Laura and Ryan barricade themselves in the attic of the house, and Ryan is in some real pain. Laura starts getting a surge of energy and is like, hey, Ryan, do you smell that? Ah, shit. And he's like, no. <laughs> I'm still bleeding. The shit hasn't kicked in yet. I'm in a lot of pain from the stabbing. Laura lets him rest while she pokes around the creaky attic. She comes upon one werewolf chained to a pillar. Ryan hears a growl and is like, hey, what was that? And then the werewolf stands up, showing it's like nine, ten feet tall, towering over these kids. Oh, damn. Laura says, I think we found Chris Hackett. Upon seeing them, the werewolf swipes more and more, breaking the chains around his body and heading towards Laura and Ryan. As he does, the floor gives way and the werewolf, Ryan, and Laura all fall stories below. They land, and Laura starts to feel herself turning. Oh, shit. Travis Hackett enters the room just as Laura sheds her human skin and explodes and swipes at Officer Travis Hackett, the guy that kept her fucking jailed for two months. I love that their skin explodes off of them. Oh, it's such a good transition. Werewolf Chris starts attacking Bobby Hackett, who ran in the room, and eventually hits him and throws him at the wall. Bobby is hurt, but he is alive. This doesn't kill him. Ryan is able to pop up with the gun and shoot Chris Hackett. Ooh. As he does, Laura turns back into a human, just as she was going to start eating Officer Travis Hackett. <laughs> Laura's a human again. She's okay again. On the ground, both covered in blood, Laura and Officer Hackett talk. Laura says, hey, thanks for not killing me. Do you think everyone's back to normal? Officer Hackett says... This isn't over. Oh, no. Ryan's like, hey, guys, Chris is fucking dead. The person that meant the most to me, my father figure, some shit is dead. Oh, my God, I killed him. <laughs> Poor kid. Officer Travis Hackett says, yeah, but Chris wasn't the first werewolf. Of course he wasn't. Laura says, no way. He says that Caleb turned first, his son. Then the son bit Chris and his sister Kaylee, the girl that you killed. But he wasn't the first. The first was the someone named Silas. Silas. The wolf boy. Oh, shit. Officer Hackett says he's been tracking him for years, but he's a transient. He left the area a while ago, but he was hoping he'd return. Silas was reported as running through the forest, a feral albino child that turns into a white wolf. Ryan says, the white wolf. Officer Hackett stands up and is like, where the fuck did you see him? Did you see him? Ryan says, yeah. The white wolf is the one that came to us by the cabins earlier today. Yeah. Officer Hackett goes, yep, that makes sense. He came back. He's the animal that drove Laura and Max off the road two months ago. Okay, we got to kill this. We kill Silas and everyone who is still alive gets better. Laura's like, yeah, absolutely. Let's fucking do this. Okay. Travis knows where to go to find him and Laura and Ryan go off with him. But not before Laura demands a fresh set of clothes because she bloody exploded it kills your clothes. She's a little naked. She's like in a bra, but we know realistically she'd have her titties out. I just love the idea that her wolf form was wearing a bra. Yeah. <laughs> now, the fortune teller tells you, you had a chance. You probably had the chance to wipe out that entire fucking family and you failed. She's mad at you. Probably because she's the tarot card reader from the Harem Scarum Circus. Oh, shit. The traveling freak show that burned down six years ago. And she must know Silas. So this tarot card session is fun. 
There is one specific tarot card where instead of seeing a two-second foreshadowing scene, you get an entire playable scene. Oh. This is the Hierophant card. And when you play it, you get this scene. And you only get this. I didn't get this. I'm very sad about it. Okay. Six years ago, Eliza the fortune teller comes out of her tent to see a fire. She screams, what have they done? And we see the fire flickering in her eyes. She goes to see a body badly burned and charred and fucked up, steps away from a cage that said Silas the dog boy. We see the camera linger on the harem scarum poster featuring Eliza the fortune teller and Silas the dog boy. Mm. This, of course, is our tarot card reader. We see her run to the boy just as the fire catches up to some oxygen chanks and debris goes flying. She runs closer to inspect the charred remains of what's left of her son. But hey, oh wait, no, this isn't her son. She scans the body and sees a sheriff's badge for Northkill. Oh. The badge that was passed down to Officer Hackett after Hank died right here. Oh, shit. Eliza sees this and knows that her son is out there somewhere in the woods. And she pours blood all over her face from a little vial she had. She stands up determined, screaming, Mommy's coming, Silas. Silas! But as she walks on to the woods to get her son, there's another explosion that occurs and eats her up. This is how the hag of Hackett's quarry began. She cries to you now in the present, saying they hunt her son every month with silver to end a curse they inflicted on themselves. She sobs that her little white wolf must be protected. Then she tells you to get out, and she screams. Oh, goodness. Chapter 10, Bricks and Mortar. Alone on the island, Max is human again. He's naked down to his underwear, and he's covered in blood, and he is very sore. Oh, poor guy. He realizes he's like, hey, this is a great view. Oh, my God, I'm in a tree. <laughs> he realizes he's standing on a branch, and he's like, why am I on top of a fucking tree? He has no idea how he's going to get down, so he Evan Hansen's himself and just falls out of this fucking tree. <laughs> True to form, he doesn't remember where he is or what's going on, and then he's like, oh, right, I was a werewolf. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Guess I'm not anymore. Sheepishly, Max goes into the treehouse, into his bags, and sees that his clothes are missing because Emma stole them earlier. Of course. Max is like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. So he opens another bag and puts on some of Laura's clothes that were also in the bag in case she needed to change her outfit, which is a cropped pink hoodie and sweatpants. Why didn't she? Okay. Because <laughs> Emma didn't think to try a little harder to find clothes that would fit her. She was just like, ah, sweats. Cool. Yeah. So he is walking around with like full like lower back tramp stamp area fully <laughs> exposed because the camera's right behind him. It's really cute. He's got his juicy pants on. Yeah, he's got the whale tail and shit. He starts poking around the island to see if he's alone or not. And as he gets to the dock by the lake, he looks back and then he looks at the back of the treehouse. He figures it's actually probably worse off to go back to the mainland right now because he doesn't know what the fuck's going on. He's like, I'm going to stay on the island. I know it's safe here. I'm good. I'm just going to chill out here. If you actually, as Max, if you do go back to the mainland, you immediately get killed. Really? <laughs> yeah. Back at the lodge, an infected Caitlin and a one-handed Dylan barricade themselves back, like, inside the lodge. It starts thundering and raining, and Dylan is like, great, this is like a fucking cartoon. Of course it's raining right now. <laughs> We're at the climax. Caitlin's like, well, they don't like water, so I guess it's fine if it's raining. Right. 
And Dylan's like, you're right. And we should have just stayed at the fucking lake all night. That would have been great. Caitlin says, shut up. We have to get our shit started. We need to find a vantage point in case one of those fuckers comes back for us and like knows we're here, right? Yeah. We have to protect ourselves. Dylan sheepishly follows Caitlin through the lodge as she inspects areas that they could hold their ground on. She just wants like a nice point to like shoot from. Caitlin also finds a bunch of VHS tapes of trail footage from Chris Hackett's surveillance room. And it's all trail cam footage on every full moon so they can keep track of the werewolves and like the trail cams to see where they're going and what they like to do and shit. Oh, so that's why it was hidden. There's also a mural to the camp's mascot, Ian. Now, they didn't actually meet Ian. Ian was a sheep, and there's a message on it saying, we hardly knew you, E-W-E. Oh, right. And now this is Ian, who was eaten by werewolf Chris Hackett in the storm shelter two months ago when Laura and Max met him. Oh, shit. So Chris Hackett ate the camp mascot as a werewolf accidentally. <laughs> and the campers are like, where's the sheep? And he's like, it, it's dead. I'm sorry. And they're like, ah, the sheep. It ran away. Dylan and Caitlin pick out a spot in the lodge to use as their vantage point for the rest of the night and prepare for the inevitable werewolves. It should be noted that Caitlin's eyes are starting to glaze and she's looking a little pale, but she's okay right now. There's a howl and it sounds like the werewolf is entering the lodge via the giant fireplace chimney that runs through the entire building. Caitlin cocks her gun and says, it's showtime, motherfuckers. <laughs> Out in the woods, as he runs towards the lodge, Jacob is like, Jesus Christ, I am exhausted. One, werewolves are real. Yeah. Two, I'm in my underwear. Mm -hmm. Three, I got dumped. Oh. He starts crying to himself. He says out loud, I just wish I could tell you I'm sorry more than anything. I just want one more night together. He cries and he sits down on the ground just completely defeated. He's like, I don't know what to do. This fucking sucks. Now, there's a version of this scene where during one of the takes, the actor for Jacob actually broke his thumb. Like, like he kind of fell and like slipped wrong, broke his thumb, and then kept recording the scene and then checked it out later and was like, oh, I fully broke my thumb. Oh, my gosh. That sucks so much. It does, but you got to love him for it. Yeah, that's a dedicated to the craft. Absolutely. Back in the lodge, Abby and Emma in the basement are like, okay, cool, we're safe. But literally, just upstairs, a werewolf is breaking through the brick chimney of the fireplace and starting to terrorize the lodge. Caitlin is looking more and more sickly with her lips turning blue and the veins in her face looking more pronounced on like her really pale skin. Mm. The werewolf starts coming towards them slowly and then all at once. Caitlin shoots at him as he lunges for her and Dylan and then Caitlin and Dylan just run off. This wolf is Caleb, the wolf that infected Caitlin not so long ago. Oh, shit. From the surveillance room, Abby and Emma see the werewolf upstairs stalking Caitlin and Dylan. Abby is like, holy shit, we have to help them. Emma's like, we literally can't get out because this thing locks from the outside. How can we help? And Abby says, oh, shit, I found those silver bullets. I can roll them under the door and they can at least have the silver. Like, that's how we can help. We got this. Caitlin and Dylan are escaping the werewolf and they end up getting separated. The werewolf follows Caitlin first as she traverses through the lodge and then is like quickly followed by this werewolf. It's like on her ass. She runs back into Dylan. They reunite. They end up hiding around in some bunk beds and stuff. And they evade the wolf a bit. And once they get closer to Mr. Hackett's office, Em and Abby pound on the doors calling out to Caitlin. Because remember that little trap door brought them up into the lodge through his office. Yeah. 
Dylan is like, no time, we have to go. And Caitlin's like, they're yelling for me, come on. <laughs> so he runs off and hides in the kitchen. Caitlin goes to the door, takes the silver shells from under the door from Abby. Mission accomplished, Emma and Abby. You fucking did it. <laughs> Back into your hidey hole. Caitlin runs up to Caleb the werewolf again, who lashes out at her, but then smells something in the air and runs off. He just is disinterested halfway through. Huh. And we realize Caitlin is so far into her werewolf infection, he doesn't smell the human on her. Damn. He's like, eh, whatever. So he just fucking leaves. Dylan comes out holding a frying pan with his one hand and looks down at a poor Caitlin who's just like, I'm exhausted. This shit sucks. <laughs> Giving up. Yeah. Laura, Ryan, and Travis Hackett are driving down the main road. It's time for them to end this all and kill the white wolf. Laura asks what happened, and Ryan jumped in saying, there was a fire, now there's a werewolf, and a ghost asking for her baby boy. <laughs> oh, you know what? The baby boy's probably Silas. Travis Hackett is like, okay, that's not all of it, though. And Laura goes, yeah, it is. There was a fire, now there's werewolves, your family failed to stop them, here we are. Gotta be Silas. Ryan just goes, burn. <laughs> Officer Hackett is like, no, we looked every single full moon and now he's finally here. So we have to end this thing right now and for good and kill the feral werewolf boy. Laura's like, okay, well, how are we going to find him? Like, why do you think you know where he is? And because she's in a horror game, as soon as she says this, Silas the white wolf jumps on the car while they're driving and attacks the car. Well, that was easy. Officer Travis Hackett has a tiny panic attack and like shuts down while this is happening and Laura has to grab the wheel. And then she just grabs like the emergency brake and stops the car and the white wolf flies off forward off of the car. So he gets startled so much he just can't even. Yeah. <laughs> Great thing in an officer to have. Yeah. Fucker. Silas lays in the ground injured just ahead of the car. Travis slams the gas and tries to drive over him. Oh. But there's no bump. <laughs> He, he's gone before the car could even touch him. Ryan from the back seat goes, are we there yet? <laughs> Why is he funny now? Like in the, la in the final fucking moments of the game, Ryan's hysterical. Right. Officer Hackett gets out of the car to investigate. He calls to Laura and Ryan and says, they see some blood. Let's just fucking end this. Also, we see that Laura is in one of Constance Hackett's weird house dresses. Like, poor girl is stuck in this stupid nightie. Oh. Laura recognizes this place as the patch of road as the same place she and Max went off-roading two months ago. Oh, shit. Officer Hackett is like, look, if you feel like you need to kill me, do it. And he hands his gun to Laura. Laura takes the gun but doesn't shoot. Travis says, it's best to cover yourself in blood so they don't see you, but... I'm out of blood, so we're high risk. Laura says, let's go do this. And then Ryan chimes in and says, go team. <laughs> Deep in the woods, the three move through the forest with the light of the gun leading the way. Laura says, this is where I saw her. I thought we hit a woman. I saw her in the woods those nights ago. And she clicks that the woman was saying, Silas. Officer Hackett says, that's Eliza, Silas's mother. She ran a traveling sideshow called Harem Scarum. It came through here six years ago, and she kept her son in a cage. She called him Silas the Wolf Boy, and she died in a fire. Some say she never left. Ryan says, it's the hag of Hackett's quarry. 
I feel like there's been like 15 different explanations for the hag of Hackett's Quarry. Well, that's what happens with, uh, you know, urban legends. urban legends and shit. Yeah. Travis Hackett reveals his niece and nephew were there and they just wanted to help the little boy. So they started a fire to distract people so they could unlock Silas's cage and let him free. But they lit a hay bale on fire <laughs> and it went crazy. The fire lit up. And as he was trying to get him out, Caleb got bitten by Silas and then Caleb turned and bit Kaylee and Chris. And that's how the hackets started to get infected. So just trickle down Bidenomics. <laughs> exactly. Laura is tender and says, that's why you've been hunting him. Travis Hackett confirms every full moon for the last six years. The three come up on the burned remains of the harem scarum circus. Laura is like, holy shit, I didn't see any of this when we were down here. It's all still here. Ryan walks a bit and then is met with the scream of a woman saying, get out. Here's Eliza. Ryan runs back to the safety of the group and shows them the flyer from the circus on the ground. Officer Hackett reminds them to be careful. We come up on Silas curled up on the ground and the echoes of a woman just going over the wind saying, my boy. Laura, holding the shotgun, walks up to him and raises it to meet him. Eliza cries and screams as Laura pulls the trigger. Oof. Out of the forest, we hear Eliza screaming no as Silas dies and reverts back to his human form. About damn time. Officer Travis Hackett smiles because it's over. Ryan says, can we please leave now before we have to see him in human form? <laughs> Laura says it's too late for that. It's gross, but now the white wolf is dead. We get back to Eliza's tarot card room. She says, I bet you think you're fucking clever. She says she tried to help you, warn you, even started to like you, but not now. She says she will never forget what they did to Silas. She says she's not going to stop now that the night's come to an end. She says wherever you go, whenever you hear a noise in the dark or a breath on the back of your neck, it's going to be me. I will never leave you. Oh, shit. The sun starts to break through the trees, lighting the forest up in a blanket of orange glow. We see the campground wake up and come alive. We see Max on the island, marked as alive and cured. We go through the hackets with Bobby, Jedediah, Constance alive. We see Chris is dead, killed when his favorite counselor, Ryan, shot him. Mm. We see Kaylee dead. We see Jacob marked as alive. We see Nick alive, waking up in the woods covered in blood. Abby is alive. Emma is alive. Dylan is alive. Caitlin is alive and cured. Caleb Hackett is alive, sitting in the fireplace. He is cured. And of course, Travis Hackett is alive. Ryan is alive and cured. And Laura is alive and cured. And at last, we see Silas dead. <laughs> the curse of Hackett's quarry is broken. Cop cars pull up to the Hackett's Quarry Lodge, lights blazing. And now we have an epilogue that goes over the end credits of this Holy game. Holy shit, will this fucking thing end? <laughs> There's one last thing. So this is actually fun. There's no characters in this. This is not playable. But over the end credits, we have an episode of the Bizarre Yet Bonafide podcast. <laughs> and now this changes depending on how well you did during the game. So... What we see is an old desktop computer with a newspaper as the background and a small window of the Bizarre Yet Bonafide podcast playing on a media player over the screen. Okay. Now, the newspaper says, Psycho Teens Charged Over Summer Camp Murder. 
Oh my gosh. The police came in and pinned Kaylee's murder on Laura and the other counselors. Oh shit. Saying that this girl was shot by a gun being wielded by Laura and all these people were complicit in her murder. I mean, yeah, kind of, but for good reason. Now, the hosts of the Bizarre Yet Bonafide podcast introduced their new episode follow-up on Hackett's Quarry with a follow-up on what happened over the summer. A bunch of teens were charged in the murder of a local girl, and also probably Chris Hackett, but we don't see that because it's kind of covered. Right. The show explains that there have been some developments because they've received a mysterious box as an anonymous donation to their show. They say they've been sent some information and they need to decide if it's bizarre or if it's bona fide. Now, from here, you take all of the clues that you find throughout the game. They're in a box and they get sent to the podcast. So this includes like a photo of the bloated dead corpse in the lake that Jacob found and like the clippings from the hikers and their backpacks showing that the hikers were killed. And this implies that the hikers were bitten by the werewolf and then killed by the hackets and then they tried to hide the bodies. Because they were like, we can't let the werewolf spread too much. They the hosts start arguing over what's legit and like what lines up and what doesn't. And they can go through other clues, like there's stuff on the Hackett family. They go through the letter that Ryan finds in the Hackett house from Kaylee to her grandmother hinting at the fire. They find a cease and desist letter from Travis. And they are like, wow, that's crazy that they know who we are. Which, like, honestly, same. When people know that we have a podcast, I feel that exact same way. Yeah, right. They get to the trail footage of the campgrounds, and they're like, maybe it's a bear. (laughs) Maybe it's supernatural. Fucking bear. (laughs) It's really great. And so uh, Brian Murphy's character in the podcast is named Anton, and he's really skeptical. And he's like, no, no, it's just a prank. So Emily Axford's character goes, it was just a prank, Anton. Stop. In like the final moments, if you play your cards right, you get that line. It's so fucking good. Taking you all the way back to the very beginning of Until Dawn. Yeah, in their fucking prologue. Oh my God. But they get all these clues sent to them that the player finds throughout the games and saves and is like, man, that's crazy. Here's like the picture that Emma took on her phone of the fucking werewolves. Yeah. And the hosts start talking about like, no, this is real evidence. We need to send this to the cops. What the fuck? And they decide in the podcast that they're going to send this to the cops. And then the screen goes off and the newspaper changes the headlines to teens acquitted. Evidence from podcasts show that the teen shot back in self-defense. Nice. And now all is well. The kids are free. The curse is lifted. Kaylee and Chris are dead. But so is the white wolf. And that is the quarry. Podcasts save the day. Podcasts did save the day. I'm the hero. <laughs> oh, I really enjoy this game and I love the lore of it. I think it's a good cozy game. It's not a super active one. Like if this comes out on Switch and you can play this like on a plane, hell yeah, go for it. But I mean, I could eat a full meal while playing this and like, I don't know check my texts while I'm doing it and shit. Like, <laughs> it's not a super labor intensive game, but the story is fun. And truly like it is funnier than until dawn. It has great performances. And I didn't know it was about werewolves going into it, but I enjoyed it. It's crazy to me that they went with werewolves, right? Like you went with Wendigo, like, please give me Mothman for the next one or something. something. Yeah. Jersey devil, please. That would be super great. So who did you get killed? And when did they die? Okay. <laughs> 
I got everyone killed between chapter nine and ten. Oh, damn. Right at the end. Every single person was alive until I got back there. I got Ryan Justice Smith killed. Um, oh, wow. I think I think his face got smushed by something. Oh. Um, I did get Laura killed. I got Travis killed. You got Laura killed? I did get Laura killed, and I felt really bad about oh, it. Oh, shit. Because she's the baddest bitch, and I love her. I got Jacob killed. He, uh, One of the werewolves ate him. Just straight up, like, <laughs> tore him the fuck apart. I kept Abby and Emma alive because they did make it to the shelter. There's a lot of places Abby can just get brutally, like, decapitated. Really? Yeah. <laughs> they really made it so Ariel Winter goes through some terrible shit in this game. <laughs> I did get Ethan Suplee killed. I think he got shot. Oh, um, damn. I shot Constance Hackett's face entirely off. Nice. Um... <laughs> I think I got Brenda Song killed as well. Yeah, I did get Brenda Song killed. Oh, poor thing. And I felt really bad. Dylan made it. I love Dylan. I'm glad Dylan made it. I think Max lived as well, but he's still cursed. I did not make it to Silas. I never got anything about Silas. I did not find the fucking tarot card that unlocks the secret scene with Eliza in the flashback of the fire. Damn. So I played through this whole thing and was like, I did okay. And then... Seeing it, I was like, I missed an hour of this fucking game. <laughs> but I had a great time with it. Well, you made up for that hour here. I certainly did. We definitely hit well over three hours. Oh, shit. My B. <laughs> well, thank you for hanging out with us. Please believe all your podcasts because sometimes they can help get teens acquitted of werewolf murder. Yeah, but we're not going to be solving any murders on this show. Knock on wood. <laughs> God, I hope not. Fingers crossed. They're like, it comes down to the other castle. And we're like, I'm so sorry, dude. We're so sorry. This is not supposed to land on our shoulders. No. Well, anyways, Goombas, if you enjoyed that episode, please remember to like and subscribe. Yeah. Leave comments. Leave any kind of reviews that you can. We also have our website, theothercastlepodcast.com. That's theothercastlepodcast.com. Yes, and please join us over on our Patreon, where we are just $2 a month. We've got new episodes dropping every month, even during the off-season. Hell yeah. Speaking of Patreon, we'd like to give a little shout-out to the producers of this episode. Trevor, Molly, Unuseful, Brian, Krisha, Molly Muck, Jackie, Ellen, whole bunch of hotties in there hell yeah i love you guys and don't forget also that we have a discord so you can come over and chat with us talk about this episode and any other episode if you guys have played until dawn please hop in the discord and tell me who you saved and who you killed and how bad it was when you killed them and this game too did i say until dawn you did a little loopy if you could also tell me who you saved and killed in the quarry that would be great <laughs> i killed most of the people in until dawn i really fucked that one up but i went into the quarry being like i'm gonna save everyone fucking perfect run off the bat and i did so great until the last 10 percent of the fucking game blew it <laughs> really beefed it and on my playthrough the last podcast is like Damn, that's crazy. And then everyone just moves on with their lives. (laughs) (laughs) And they're like, massacre at summer camp. And I was like, ah, shit, my bad. Damn. Damn, I tried. I'm sorry, Brenda's song. I love you. Let me know how all of you did in the super massive world because I'm excited. I'm probably going to break and play some of the Dark Pictures anthology games just for funsies. Yeah, maybe throw it up on the Patreon. Yeah, it'll be fun. All right, Goombas. Until next time. This is Tom and Andrea reminding you. It's probably not a bear. And don't skip the cutscenes. Thank you. Bye. And, and, 
we bring you a hand-picked selection of only the finest that Hackett's Quarry has to offer. No freaking way. Yes, freaking way. Pop, pop, peanut butter, butter pops. Pop, pop, pop them in your mouth. Pop.